Yes, everyone, welcome to the Sunday Robcast coming to you on the 28th of February. Interview today that was um, took me by surprise, to be perfectly honest. Um, it's Grant Campbell from Campbell's Footballs, who not only does the Sunday Robcast editing, which you probably, where you've probably heard the name before, but he's also got his own his own podcast, and he's also got such an interesting life. Uh, I'm not going to spoil anything, but he kind of opens up a lot about something that pff, I didn't know, and I I I've known Grant a little a little time now, but he's opened up on something that I was not aware of, and full props to him for doing so because it took a lot of balls to do what he did on the show, and uh, I'm proud of him to be honest. Um. A little co-host with me today uh, on the interview. I took um, Stephen Cooper in, who and it worked really well, and it's something that we'll look to do again in the future. Today's show, as normal, sp- um, sponsored by Live for CBD and Age Clothing, and um, the music, the Capalos, as always. I'm not going to beat around the bush a bit. I will quickly announce. Um, there's obviously after this interview on the Sunday, there's going to be the Jack Grimmer midweek special. Um. Uh, there's going to be two more midweek specials in March. One is announced as Michael Rose, who plays for Coventry, and ex Air in Aberdeen. And there's one more to be announced as well, hopefully in the next couple of days. So I'll go at the Sunday Robcast. Um, go and enjoy Grant. Go and enjoy the honesty, uh, the bit of banter that we've had, me and Cooper and Grant have a good laugh with each other, slag each other off. Um, for anyone listening, I know that um, my sister listens with my niece. There is some swearing, there is some sea bombs and Cooper was seven beers down by the end of it, so it's a little bit excitable. But go and enjoy and I'll speak to you afterwards. Cheers. Welcome everyone to episode 8 of the Sunday Robcast, hosted as normal by me, Robbie. Um, today I decided I wanted a co-host on for this interview. Um, I'm a big fan of Open Goal, which I've mentioned before, so I actually ordered Paul Slane. But I um, I ordered it off a wish, so they've sent me this idiot instead. Stephen Cooper, how you doing pal, you okay? I'm good, yeah, I'm excited to meet my second favourite doctor. <laughs> after Dr Noodles. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna, i'm gonna mention why cooper's on just shortly but firstly i'm gonna introduce our guest today's guest the man who kind of gave me my breaking podcast to be honest he, he had me on his show gave me the idea that i could do it myself he's possibly one of the smartest people i've met but at the same time he's also one of the biggest fucking rockets i've met in my life as well he's actually got a university qualification that he's actually makes him a doctor and therefore, coming on a show with me and Stephen is very, very brave of him. I actually had written down that it was a degree he had, but Cooper's a little smart and told me that it wasn't, so I'll let him explain when he comes on. He was the Ellen Bowls Club champion. He was a social media and stats guru at Ellen United, where I'm the undefeated as a manager. Not a big deal, get that right of you. And now he's the podcast host of Campbell's Footballs. Today's guest is Dr. Grant Campbell. How you doing, pal? Ah, really good, Robbie. What a sweet introduction. Thanks very much for having me on your show. I'm really looking no forward problem. to this. 
not a problem at all. I've obviously took Cooper. I will give you the main reason Cooper's on, but the also side reason that Cooper's on is that Grant's very intelligent. I'm very not intelligent. So I took Stephen on just to keep me keep me right with the big words. <laughs> the reason that we've got Stephen on today is, um, obviously, I've been a guest on Grant's show before. I mentioned the podcast. He mentioned during that time that he'd be keen to get me and Stephen on. For people who don't know, Stephen is not only my best mate, but he's also my assistant manager and he has been at quite a few clubs and Grant spoke about getting him on so I thought it was a, a good um, way to get him on today so how are you doing Grant you okay how's things um, going I'm really well uh, Robbie it's been a very tricky year or so I think for for us all you know we've had to learn uh, and adapt to new ways of living and working um, but you know we have good days and bad days it's not great but hopefully we're heading out the other side yeah, perfect. It's funny you've actually meant entertainment. Um, me, and Ke- me and Cooper's entertainment is watching your Instagram stories when you've had a few bevies. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. Think, uh, how, about you? how about you, Cooper? How are you getting on? Uh, chabbing on, I suppose. You know what I'm like. I need to be doing something. Um, obviously, been furloughed. Picked up a little well, a full-time job. So I feel I need that. I would be going off my head. Yeah. And what about you, Grant? I know you started a job not that long ago. How's that going for you? All right? Yeah, so I started my new job about six weeks ago. Um, I'm doing a little bit of work for a research institute in Aberdeen, um, which is called the James Hutton Institute, a really nice uh, uh, place that really kind of helped me in my journey um, to be a PhD graduate, um, you know, really helped me in the world of agriculture and soil science. And I'm very grateful to this organisation for really kind of getting my life in the, a really positive direction. And, uh, you know, been very unfortunate to have lost my previous job before um, the new year. But in some ways, things happen for a reason. And I'm glad to be very fortunate, I should add, to be in work at this period in time. And, uh, you know, I'm making the most, hopefully making the most of my opportunity. Brilliant, mate. Right. We're going to go into some questions. And I've got the most important one for me uh, right at the start. Can you tell us how the fuck you were younger than me and Cooper? <laughs> <laughs> was, your, I, uh, was your paper route at the top of Ben Nevis? Or uh, what's happening here? Uh, it, 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 I, I don't really have anything to uh, to give you any insight on how to get young, uh, Robbie, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, I've started even growing a, a beard and a moustache for people who don't know. I mean, I, I started growing that a couple of years ago uh, to try and look a little bit more experienced. Uh, but people say I still have a baby face. It's quite extraordinary, really. But no, I, I think I, uh, I don't know. I can't give you any tips, I'm afraid. Uh, I used to look at uh, Just for Men uh, and Luis Figo, um, you know, his uh, excellent stuff he did on the TV adverts. Um, unfortunately, I've never used those products, but uh, I can't help you with that, I'm afraid. So to answer your question, I don't really know. <laughs> When you say that you grow a beard, do you actually grow a beard or do you what me and Cooper do, just not shave because you can't be asked? So uh, it's an interesting story, though, actually, because in 2018, um, I decided to actually raise some money for charity. Um, so I did this through uh, Decembeard, which is through Bell Cancer UK. Uh, yeah. um, so I was actually raising some money for cancer research because I've got a few uh, colleagues that my family and, and friends know who have had bowel cancer and a range of other um, cancers associated with uh, that area of the human body. And, uh, you know, I was very fortunate. You know, I-, I wasn't sure how it would go down, but I raised in excess of nearly £900. And, uh, you know, I, I put a-, a lot of effort into it. I, I thought it would uh, be a bit of a disaster, but it actually ended up looking no bad. So I thought, I'm not yeah. going to shave this off. I'm just going to keep it. And 
you know, people thought it was no bad. It maybe, as I say, it looked a bit more experienced. And uh, the only problem is actually finding the time to actually, you know, keep it maintained, which is harder and easier said than done. So, uh, get that beard on Tinder, big boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny I mentioned that, my good man, because I'm still looking for a bird. So, uh, oh any ladies out there? Any ladies out there? <laughs> Grant, when you're saying that you did um, your December, did, did it start with? Did it start with November? Did it? No, it didn't actually. Uh, I decided to do this purely in December. I, I, I basically I thought about the idea for many years. Um, but kind of bottled it. I was going to do it back in 2016 with a group of guys and I, I, bought, I bottled it. I, I really <laughs> I really thought I was going to look like a complete and utter numpty. Uh, but then I thought, you know what? You only get one shot at life. I'm going to give it a go. And I think as I know a few people, as I said earlier on, Robbie, that had been battling cancer and that, I think when it is closer to home or, or well, it wasn't directly with my family, it was indirectly through, through friends, I think it makes a big difference. So I thought, why not? And, you know, the money goes to a good cause. And Bill Cancer UK, credit to them to do an awful lot of research, as does all cancer charities for that matter. And, yeah. uh, you know, do a fantastic job. But it's like you said there, like I'm going to pick on something you said there when you, you decided you were going to do um, the, the beers and stuff and you were saying you weren't sure when it was going to, how it was going to go down. For me personally, on that sort of thing, see, when you're doing stuff like raising money for charity or you're doing something where you're raising awareness or money or whatever, I feel like you've got to have the mindset of fuck everyone else, to be honest. Absolutely. You can Absolutely. Throw, you do whatever the fuck you want. If you want to shave your head and have a big fucking pink moustache, then, mm -hmm. then you're raising a couple of quid for it, then do what you do what you fucking want, really. To continue the cancer story, Robbie, a, a few years ago, a group of friends um, that my family and, and others know uh, were involved in a charity called Scalping Cancer. And this this it's no longer running now, but it was involving a range of charities across northeast Scotland. And we were all raising money, doing different tasks and challenges to, to kind of raise money for cancer charities. And uh, one of the things that I decided to do was have my legs waxed. And, uh, you know, that was, uh, that was something that I actually took actually quite well. And I have really, really bad uh, pain threshold. I either really, really hate pain or I don't feel pain at all. There's nothing in between. So we had a really great fun night at uh, Ellen Bowling Club, which was, which was really, really cool. And we raised in excess of 2,000 quid which was absolutely sensational. And the money went to um, the um, the anchor unit um, and was raising money for, for people with urinary cancer. Um, you know, there was a, a range of excellent equipment that was bought to help, uh, you know, specific cancers, um, which was really, really good. And, uh, you know, a fascinating um, few years. Uh, well, it was actually 18 months we'd done it for, but it was a pleasure to be a part of. And hopefully we could resurrect it in some form maybe a few years down the line, but time is, of course, a big problem. Yeah, that's brilliant, mate, brilliant. And like Cooper mentioned earlier on, that, that little comment you made about your pain threshold, get that on Tinder as well. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to start with a... I actually I obviously sent you the questions, which you knew already, but we're going to talk about something else a little bit before. Young, younger life, kind of growing up and a lot of this podcast that people come on here is a lot of sports related and stuff. What what was your kind of, when you were younger, did you play sports? How did that go about when you were a, a kid? What kind of sort of stuff were you into then? Um, very interesting life I had um, early on, Robbie, because for really the first 18 years of my life, things were, I would say, fairly quiet. And, you know, that seems quite unusual for a guy like me, you know. Yeah, um, 
<laughs> I love that line there. That was brilliant. Um, I love my football. I've always been a, a massive football fan. Um, you know, I, I, I do have feet, so I, I, I'm absolutely hopeless of playing football. Um, I used to play in goal um, when I was younger for a little bit of Meekle Mill Primary School where um, I was obviously... Um, a pupil there uh, I wasn't very good uh, but it was a good laugh Fucking and it was a good crack dude. sorry just to interrupt Grant I thought you were talking about yourself not Cooper <laughs> <laughs> I can't sorry, be as no, bad no. I, know I'm ba- I know I'm bad but I don't think I was as bad as Coops I'm afraid <laughs> I'll have you know I didn't lose one game in goals for West Dice in my career <laughs> over 20 appearances in goals well, it's one cap more than I got. Anyway, anyway, to continue my story, um, I, 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 I actually quite liked playing, you know, the role of referee and, and commentator, which was quite interesting. I kind of always sort of had a bit of an insight into loving the works of people like John Motson and, and Clive Tilsley growing up. And, you know, many people kind of looked at me at times and thought it was quite bizarre. And, and I'll come on to a little bit more of this story later because it's actually very fascinating how it, how it continues out. Obviously, my, my, my primary school days were were okay. They, they they were they were just okay in some ways. And then obviously moving to secondary school, different challenges, you know, um, different environment. Um, it was a it was a big challenge. I'm not going to lie. I I felt I had the brains to be um, pretty successful in what I could do. But it's it's finding that balance between you know having friendship, having a bit of a social life, having a bit of fun, and I sort of sacrificed that in some ways for for being, um, you know, more proficient in terms of my um, studies and education. And a key moment in my life, Robbie, kind of came in 2009. Um, I don't know if you guys will remember these kind of things at Island Academy or or, or other um, secondary schools, but one of the great moments for me, and this is a really kind of big, I always kind of see this as a big uh, checkpoint in my life. Uh, We have a Team PSC session um, at uh, Island Academy in 2009. And uh, the woman who, who runs it, a person I know very well, Fran Tomlinson, um, I asked her if I could talk uh, at this TPSC meeting, which anybody could talk about. It's all about things like like sex and money and, and all that sort of main current affairs that every teenager and young adult wants to, to know a little bit more about. So yeah. I decided to, to, to talk a little bit at, at this meeting, and a lot of people were quite surprised as to why I went to talk about it. But one of the major factors in my life is that I actually have a diagnosis of Asperger's syndrome. And a lot of people don't understand what Asperger's is. But for those who maybe don't know, it's a communication disorder. Um, and, I, and I call it a disorder. It's almost like a uniqueness for me as a person because you can say all these flamboyant words and, and, and you know, mean it quite well. But it's all about language and context. And, you know, sometimes you kind of lose that interactions with people and struggle to uh, communicate with people in and around you and you know one of the, the difficulties I had from a very young age was um, struggling to have friendship and have a lot of communication with a lot of uh, people my own age and uh, that was something I found very challenging in my younger years and uh, what I also what I kind of used to do was almost kind of have an alter ego in essence like like a superhero would do uh, so I would be Grant Campbell the person but when I was out into the school or out in public, I would almost put on this mask, if you like, and be someone else. And it was very, un- it was very unusual. But to a lot of people, you probably wouldn't know that because you know it's quite discreet. I try to hide it quite well. But you know, when I spoke out in two thousand and nine, I felt like that was a key turning point in my life because, you know, in some ways, I was almost kind of not lying to people, but I wasn't kind of fully telling people who the real person was. And I think yeah. that's 
that's something that I always try to strive to tell people. And this is something I always use in presentations. I do when I talk about my, my, I, I, I say my uniqueness. I don't like to call it a disability because we're all unique and we all have, you know, different lives and different challenges. But the great thing I always say to people is to A, be yourself, but B, don't be ashamed as to what you are because you don't let the disorder, the disability, the uniqueness, whatever define you, you define it. And I think yeah. that's the, the mindset you have to, to tell yourself. It's And after that moment, guys, one of the, the, the big insight and, and take-home message for me is you've done this. The, yeah. the pathway is clear now. There's no bumps in the road now in terms of you can't be judged by people. Of course, well, of course people are going to, you know, question maybe. But the, the thing you can kind of say to them is, well, I've done this, but I've done this, you know, as well as have this. Whereas yeah. I could do this, but I've had to change direction because I've got this. You know what yeah. I'm saying? I think I think that was a key moment in my life in 2009. And then I can, I can sorry, relate, really relate. When I went through school, don't really speak about it, but when I went through school, I was top of the class. I could look at a maths question and go 38. But I was oh. also a massive asshole. Like, I'd <laughs> sit in a class, I would finish my work, and instead of, Stephen, go to some nowhere, I'd be like, no, have a chair. So I went through the whole, has he got Asperger's? Is he autistic? I actually apparently had severe ADHD. Yeah. But looking back, I just think I was an arse. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. didn't like, I just didn't let the classroom. I, even when I hit 16, I went an apprentice. Mm-hmm. I went to a place called Tullis Training and I used to sit mm-hmm. in a class and just think, fuck hell. And yeah. I remember a teacher gave me a book. Have you ever heard of A Mysterious Incident of the Dog of the Night? Yes, I've read it lots of times. A fantastic I was, novel. I was handed that book at 15, 16, and said, Steve, I want you to read that. And I read it in about a mm. day or something. And they were like, is that? And I was like, and I related to a lot of his book about mm-hmm. the kid and that, and he's obviously got Asperger's. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important in terms of my own story to set that that kind of story in context of my own life because before two thousand and nine, I was a very nervous guy. I yeah. I didn't. There was a lot of kid, a lot of pupils my age and and maybe even slightly younger that were going out to the pub. They were socialising with their friends on a Friday night. They were going to you know curry club and other other things and and that sort of stuff. But it was something that people were always questioning why I never went out, why I never interacted with some of my fellow pupils. And that was the reason why, because I was scared to let down that guard and maybe kind of show myself in a, in a light that would embarrass myself, but embarrass everyone else as well. And looking back, I was silly to do that. But at the same time, it sort of stood me in good stead in some ways to when I'm older now and I'm a little bit more experienced now to actually kind of reflect and say, well, if this happens, you know, in my current life situation, I can sort of take a step back and say, look, you need to tone it down a little bit. So would you go out now with like a group of friends? To yes, yes, yes. I, I, can, I, can, I can socialize and go out now. And I think a key moment in that sort of life sort of kind of period came just after I left university in 2014, you know, I, I think that was a, a kind of key defining moment because up until around about 2013, 2012, I didn't drink alcohol at all. I was never, I was never into to beer. I'm still not into beer at all. I like a Magnus now, and I obviously, I like my my Morgans and Coke, as many people listening to this will know. But I think up until 2014, I was, I was always just so focused on, I have to get to this end goal, and I'm going to stop at nothing to get there, and. I sacrificed socialising 
to get there. And looking back, it was silly at the time because, you know, university life is an experience. And obviously, before I, I come on to, we'll come on to talk about Cranfield shortly, which is an interesting story of my life in itself. But Aberdeen University was a big part of my life as well. And I have to give a little bit of a, a help to, a, a hand, I should say, to my uh, my great friend, uh, Gavin Craw, who now lives in Hong Kong. He's a, been a huge fan of my life and a big part of my life for the last dozen years uh, plus. And, you know, he, he gave me the, the kind of kind of sounding board, if you like, and, you know, the, this guy would, would kind of help me in terms of give advice and support when I was nervous, when I was anxious, when I was scared. And, you know, when you're when when you have Aspergers, you, that word friendship is something that is for a person with ESD very difficult to define and you know connect with. And I saw Gavin as almost like a big supporter, and that made a huge difference in my life. And I think once I graduated from university, and I knew I had I knew I had connections and things like that, and I think that helps. But you know. It's just getting that confidence and getting that support yeah. there in your camp to say, you've actually got a lot of positivity in your life. You have a lot of good attributes. Utilise them. And obviously having a strong family network is very important as well. My brother, my mum my and dad have always been a massive support to me. And I think I would be lost without the three of them, uh, to be honest with you. Um, but I think I've had, to, I've had to adapt, but I've also had to, you know, sort of, Gross out of balls. And I go back to 2009 because I think after that Team PSE presentation I did, there was, a not, there was not a dry in the house when I did that for the first time. I can absolutely guarantee you that. And people still, to this day, come up to me in the pub and say, we remember that moment in 2009. And, you know, we didn't know at the time. We would never have known at the time you had Asperger's. And I still think to this day, I'm so glad I did that. And I wish yeah. I'd done it earlier. That's brilliant, mate. It's an absolute brilliant story to kick off when obviously not to take any <clears throat> light away from it. It's it, it's something that I feel like it's I'm gonna piggyback on it more than anything. And it's anyone who listens to this that's either struggling with the stuff that Grant's had or I'm gonna compare a lot of things you said there to mental health. Um I, I feel like that's very similar. In the story you said there, like about how once you kinda get over that speed bump or you go around it, so to speak. I had something similar last year. And for me, the, the guy you spoke about, your friend, my friend that kind of took me out of that was, was, was Stephen, to be honest with you. And he was that kind of guy where it was, he, he didn't particularly, it wasn't really his strong point. He's not mm. good with, he's not good with tears. And I'll, I'll, Stephen will probably comment himself until I actually just, like you said a bit, Grant, and I don't particularly agree with if anyone ever says man up, but the grown, the grown to set the balls thing, I think if I didn't tell Cooper how bad I was struggling, he probably wouldn't have known. Mm -hmm. no, could, no, you could no. probably vouch on that more than anything. Nah, I, I'm a very, very poor with other people's my own emotion. I'm not an emotional person. Yeah, I just neither am I. And I think that's a, an interesting point to note because people with Aspergers or people that are on the autistic spectrum struggle to show emotion. I mean, when a family member dies. I, I've, I've never cried when a member of my own family has died. Yeah. And if I do, I very rarely show it. I, yeah. I do it privately. And I think, you know, that's that's something I need to maybe learn. I don't know. But people react to grief and lots of other emotions in different ways. And I think that's the uniqueness about 
the autistic spectrum disorders. It's so wide. Stephen, you mentioned about ADHD. That's part of that network. Yeah. There, there's, a, there's, a, there's a range of very excellent celebrities who have disabilities, like, like I've said there. Chris Packham, the uh, wildlife explorer, has got Asperger's. Anne Hegarty from The Chase has got Asperger's. And she's actually a, a supporter and a custodian for, for the National Autistic Society. Daniel Benningfield, the, the singer, has got ADHD. So people, when, when people struggle to kind of connect to these um, you know, disabilities and disorders, etc., go on, go on to Google and, and, and you'll see connections with musicians, sports people, uh, film stars, etc. There are people out there who have similar issues in that regard. And I, I don't like to use that word issues because, you know, it, everybody is unique. And that's the beauty of the Asperger's uh, spectrum disorder. There is a, 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 a huge breadth of, you know, variability there. And it's so, so difficult to define. And if you don't get a diagnosis of it, it can be very, very difficult. I've got, uh, before we kind of start moving on towards like, the union stuff, and I'm sure you'll, you'll mention it here, but the question off the back of that, Obviously, you were at school and you struggled with Asperger's and then you moved, You went to university. Did you find that it was different? Was there any one of them worse than the other? Like, growing up as a teenager with it, having to deal with it, and then obviously moving to Cranfield and moving somewhere completely different where, you, where no one knew you. Did you find it was easier to get away from Ellen and to get away from the people you knew? Or did you, find it, did you feel like you were kind of starting again by moving somewhere else? Did it get difficult as you got older? Uh, it, it, it gets different. I wouldn't say it gets easier or harder. It gets different. And I think, I go back to, to 2009 because I think when you're young, you, you're naive and you, 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 you don't kind of appreciate people's emotions and feelings as much because you're obviously, we're all at that age developing and, you know, we're all building in terms of moving from childhood to adulthood. When I moved to university, I felt comfortable in the sense that it was a different environment. It was it was starting again in essence, but at the same time as well, it was I was starting a new life, a new chapter too. And I think in that sense that helped. Um, and I think when you move into Canfield, I must define that the Canfield situation a little bit because I would only go down to Canfield periods throughout my time. I wasn't there all the time for the for the four years I did my PhD. I was only down and back because I was still based up here. So I just wanted to, to clarify the story. But nevertheless it is an important aspect because you're going there yourself. Now when yeah. I was when I was young, uh, I always saw home as security. And yeah. I very rarely went on overnight stays with, with school or, or things like that. And again there was a field trip in 2009 in geography where we went to Kindrogan. And that was the first time and that, was the, and that was the first time I'd went away for a sustained period of time away from my own family. And that was a, another checkpoint in my life because when, when, you, when you have Asperger's, you have a routine, you have a structure, you have a comfortability. But the beauty of life is that sometimes you have to step out your comfort zone to experience a new way of living, a new period of life. And yeah. that moment, that time that I went away, don't get me wrong, I was absolutely crapping myself. I was shite myself. But I have never felt so alive by doing these things like going to Cranfield. You know, yeah. getting on a flight to go to Cranfield in, in October 2014 was a massive, massive step in my life because 
I've never been on a plane on my own before. And people, people, I just want to say that again. I had never been on a plane on my own before because people will not understand how hard that is for a person oh, I understand with that. a disability. I, myself, I get lost. I've got a phone, Cooper. <laughs> That's not even a joke, by the way. I wanted to walk him around Portsmouth on Google Maps. No. <laughs> uh, where was it? Rotterdam? Uh, Rotterdam? No, um, uh, Ostend. <laughs> he was I've, on I've, Google Maps walking me through where I had to go at my hotel. I've got a question so, off the back of your moving to Cranfield. Yeah. Find it easy, obviously. How old were you? Uh, when I went to Cranfield. Yeah. Um, oh, now you're asking. 23. 22. So when you moved down, did you yeah. find it easier to mix like the course you were doing? You've obviously got to have some brains. Yes. Did you find it easier being surrounded by people at the same goals, the same interests as you? 100% yes. And the reason I say that is because, one, Cranfield is a sole postgraduate study university, so yeah. there's no undergraduate students at Cranfield. But secondly, I was going into an environment where I didn't know anybody and they didn't know me. So it was a level playing field. So yeah. in some ways, it was much easier because the only people I was interacting with was my PhD supervisors who I knew because I was obviously interacting them either when they came up to Aberdeen, which they did on a regular basis, or we'd interacted over Skype or other um, social media tools. So that was helpful in some ways as well. But th th the incredible thing is as well, you're talking about traveling. I think as well, when you have a, a disability or, a, or, or someone like, like Asperger's like myself, you're, you're intrinsically sort of, your senses are heightened in some ways. You're switched on in terms of, you know when your train is, for example, from Aberdeen to Edinburgh, or you know where which gate to go to if you're flying to, to Dublin, for example. You know how long you need to be before you get on the bus. You know, I hate being late for anything. I like to be there 10, 15 minutes early. Well, have you met my friend, Robbie? <laughs> Robbie, Robbie likes to be three hours late and I'm an early person I'm early seen, for everything I've seen this banner on Facebook yeah. <laughs> I, I call it fashionably late lads fashionably late and I ask him I say to him Robbie why are you late and he said just two hours are you washing your hair Robbie <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, at, that barn is absolutely glorious you've got to do something to it Grant you know what I mean <laughs> you need to wear a headband mate <laughs> he does he does so when you went down to Cranfield Grant, was that, was that actually, I've got in my notes here, was that the university you wanted to go to? Like you obviously mentioned there that it was postgraduates only. Was that the one that you had your eye on from the start? It, 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 it was an interesting period because I was working at the Jameson Institute from 2013. I, I, I saw the, a kind of casual job come up and uh, I did a little bit of work for a, a woman who was doing a lot of, um, you know, filing and uh, a lot of administration studies. So I was there for a few months anyway. And then I got an opportunity to do some mapping uh, work, which I'm obviously still doing at the moment as well, and kind of going back to my roots in some ways. Uh, no part in the pun there. But one of the great things about um, that opportunity is when I was working away there, one of the guys who I've known, I now know really well, and I still speak with him, I won't mention his name, but uh, he came to me and he said, we have a PhD on offer. Um, would you be interested? And this was this was news to me because I didn't know anything about it. And I mulled it over for a couple of days and I thought, you know what? You've got nothing to lose. Why not go for it? So I did and I got it. And to be honest, it almost felt like it was, 
it was out of the blue one, but two, it was it was like the stars are aligning. And I think, you know, when that happens, you have to take a chance. You cannot afford to just sit on your laurels and hope there might be a better offer. So yeah. I, I, I went for it because I thought, you know what? It's actually a really interesting PhD topic, one, because it's interacting the two biggest soil science institutions in Cranfield University and the James Hunt Institute together. So you're effectively utilising England and Wales data and data in Scotland. But also you're getting to use new techniques, new ideas. You're interacting with four, maybe even five, I should say, of some of science, or certainly soil sciences, big um, people that have been well-respected, well-published. Um, you're getting a lot of insight. You get a lot of knowledge and understanding. You get a lot of experience there. So there was a lot of pluses for me to take that opportunity. So to answer yeah. your question, I would, in terms of was it my dream university, directly at the time, it, no. it, could, have been, it, could, it could have been anything. But yeah. as a result of the outcome of it, it was absolutely the best decision I made in my life, without question. Brilliant. Um, for the people listening at home, that you obviously mentioned your PhD a few times there. What what is it you've actually got the PhD in? What is it the, the official? So so I'll I'll go through the 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 scientific very fancy name. So it's it's looking it's a topic called digital soil mapping. So basically, it's looking at a range of um, soil data uh, and actually mapping it to look at the likes of what kind of carbon is in the soil, the pH of the soil, um, uh, the kind of uh, texture of the soil, but it's across the whole of Great Britain. So Scotland, England, and Wales. That's basically in a nutshell, but it's using a lot of mathematical models um, and using a range of other um, data sets like land cover, climate, um, geology, and a range of other things. It's actually a really, it was a really, really cool study to do. Very challenging, so very cool. What's your full title? So my full title is just Dr. Grant Campbell. <laughs> that, that better, better be on your Tinder. <laughs> it fucking better be. <laughs> I, I, I have to really disappoint you, gentlemen, because I do not have a Tinder account. See, I when you order, really, order really things bad. off Amazon and do you put Dr. Grant Campbell? Because I would. I would use it every... I would, I, on my bedroom door, I would have Dr. Stephen Cooper. <laughs> Uh, if I had my own office in my in this institution or, or other institutions for that matter, that would be on my door, of course. Um, to be honest, I don't think I actually have anything that has my full title on it. Because I'm quite I'm, I'm quite sort of uh, mellowed and quite you know I, would get I like to play things down. I'm not I don't like to be look at me I'm a big shot, you know. Even though people might think that, you know. But I don't know. It's I would it's have good Doctor Stephen Cooper MBE. I would just lie. <laughs> <laughs> you could get that Cooper and it still wouldn't be the worst tattoo in this chat. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Cooper the Numpty. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, cool. That's 2 0. So, Grant, when, once you went down to Cranfield, how, how long was your PhD? How long were you there for? So, oh, I, I, did my, I did my PhD from 2014 to 2019. So, I, I passed my PhD in 2018, actually on St. Andrew's Day 2018. Again, another, another big moment in my life because St Andrew's Day, I always feel, should be celebrated a lot more in Scotland than it does. And I still remember my uh, Viva so well, because you have to pass a Viva, you have to do a presentation and, and speak with a big committee um, to defend your, your science, in essence. So I, I, was, I remember the guy very well. He was, he was, um, in, he was working at a, an organisation in Wales. He knew my study quite well. 
And it was a really interesting discussion. It, it, almost, it didn't feel... Almost, the great thing about it for me, a lot of people always say, you must have been the hardest thing you've ever done. It must be like The Apprentice. And I was like, it was, but I treated it. I always kind of changed my mindset on this. And go back to what I was speaking about earlier. I always kind of treated it like it was a big meeting about, some, about someone who was really interested in my work and really wanted to know more about it. Rather than yeah. this exam, they're going to ask you about this, this, this. You better make sure you know the answers. Picture, and I, picture everybody naked. Uh, no, but I have done it in the past with other yeah, presentations. I, <laughs> I hope it was me you pictured naked before. <laughs> I didn't know you at the time, so the answer to that would probably be no. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously, brilliant um, so far. Once you finished, once you got your PhD, I put in the notes there. Did you get um? Did work come straight from it, or was it one of those ones where? You, you, you got your PhD and then you had to sit, sit, on, your, sit on it for a bit. So I, I had a couple of connections to sort. I, I had minor connections, which I had to submit in a, a couple of months after I had passed. Um, so I was applying for jobs and I saw a great job at Marine Scotland Science, um, which was utilising a lot of skulls that I had, but just applying them in a different environment. So moving from the terrestrial world of soils to the, the marine world um, of oceans and Range of other things. So I ended up uh, applying for that job. I uh, got the job, which I'm very, very fortunate to do. Spent a great 20 months there, 22 months there, um, working under some great guys. Had the opportunity to do some uh, um, presentations in uh, Spain, in Mallorca, and I did one in Edinburgh before the pandemic as well. Um, a very different uh, world uh, compared to the terrestrial world, but nevertheless, I learned a lot of great skills, and it was a great experience. Really enjoyed it. I, really? I, I kept saying skulls there. I just imagine you fucking little brush polishing a skull. <laughs> <laughs> here's here's one for you then, right? So obviously, you you boy better answer this fairly because you've done you've obviously got the degree, Cooper. I know you've got your qualifications as well. So what do you still think? Obviously, you've got the background you've got, and you've went through unis and college and stuff. Do you think that it stands you better having the degree you've got, or it's who you know? You know, in this day that's a very good know, question. You know. I, I, think, I personally think it's who you know because I've got. I think, it, I think there's a percentage. Goal, I think there's a percentage to split here. Sorry, Rory. I think there's a percentage to split here because I do think you need a little bit of knowledge. I do yeah. think you need a little bit of nous and a little bit of expertise and a little bit of um, planning. I do think that helps. Um, so, but I definitely agree with you. It, it's all about networking, communication. Um, so, if I was to put a ratio, I would say maybe 40 60. When I worked in management, if I picked up a CV and it said doctor on it, I'm picking a doctor, to be fair. Yeah. Mm. But then at the same time, Coop, right? If, you, if you're looking at your CV and you see, you see Dr. Grant Campbell, but then someone comes to you, that someone like me gets in touch with you and says, listen, one of my mates can do this, can do that, can do that. How, what the process goes there? The job, a doc, a, a, I'm using Grant different. Me, I think it's who you know. Grant... Yeah. A doctor, it's so not going to be a job and Can I just jump in here? I think yeah. experience counts for quite a lot as well. And I do think that, you know, education is great, but experience is just as important. I think there's a, I think there's a, a, a balancing act there. And I think, yeah. you know, I personally believe that experience cannot be under education. It, it, it should be at least level with it. Yeah, but then say, say for example, right, we're obviously going ifs and buts here, right? But say the world is this now where pe a lot of people are looking for jobs, okay? Like a lot mm. of people are out of jobs and they're looking for jobs. Say 
Cooper, you're you're the manage, in the management role that you've been in before, and you, you obviously don't know me nor Grant. But you look at our two CVs, right? And it's for a job that's not related to what Grant's PhD is, but he's obviously got the name doctor in it. But then you look at my CV, and we've got four or five mutual friends. Well, you're going to be late for the interview. <laughs> I'm going to be late for the interview. Nah, I'm you're giving, you're giving, you're you're going to go to your pals and say what's about like. Just yeah. now, so like, yeah. I think in this day, I think in this day and age, especially that the the more our kind of bracket we're in, I think it's who you know, eh? Like yeah. I, I think it's even more of a bigger range mm. than what you said, Grant. I reckon you're probably looking at eighty twenty. To be perfectly honest, like mm. I don't have a lot of qualifications, and I'm, yeah, I'm a fine boy, but sometimes I can be an absolute <laughs> fucking divvy. And I've always had decent jobs. I've always managed mm-hmm. to get in places. Yeah, and a lot of people are the same. So. I think the day and the age we are now, I think it's more yeah. weird. I, th- I think as well, I think skill sets is important. And, I, and you mentioned about um, who you know, and I agree. And, you know, wh- regardless whether I'm a doctor or not is, in, in this case, irrelevant. I think having having a lot of skill sets, I think, and having a versatility is important as well. You know, yeah. and I think, you know, whether you're strong in mathematics, whether you're strong in writing, whether you're strong in communication, that helps enormously. And I think you, this kind of goes back to what you're saying, the experience side. And I think that's very important. And I, I completely agree with you. It shouldn't get discounted. Maybe I was yeah. I, maybe I was maybe I was a bit kind of safe in the 30 70 camp. Maybe I move it to 75, 25 to, to experience. But it, it's a, it's an interesting one because I don't I did my PhD not to get the accolade of being a doctor, if that makes sense. I did yeah. it to improve my own skill set. So I just yeah. want to state that right now because people will think, people kind of look at me sometimes, and this is just my personal opinion, people think that because I'm a doctor, I'm up here and, and they're here. That's not what I want people to think at all. I yeah, want I, you to I, think I that want, I'm I here, want, you're here, here, and we can interact with one another. I would have on my T-shirt, I am a doctor. <laughs> I, I, would, I, I, would put, I would put on something like, I'm a doctor, but I'm also a numpty. <laughs> and I would have no problem with I would with buy you that, yeah. <laughs> 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 Join a long key, mate. <laughs> Great debate. Right, lads. Um, obviously, on the uni stuff, I'm intrigued to get onto this subject, right? How how the fuck did you manage to get into the lawn bowls? Where's that came from? Lawn bowl? Why? What, what an affair. Um, before, so, before Grant starts here, right? I'll just tell everyone. The world, I actually had a lawn bowls career, and I'll tell you. Oh, I'm intrigued by this. I grew up in a place, a little village called Newton Hill, right? And ah. There was only, say, a handful of kids my age. So everyone knew each other. And it was one all, day... Because you were all it, related. Yeah, yeah. It was it was a Newton Hill Gala. And the lawn bowls had a little bitty set up for the bowls. Mm-hmm. I was only about 15. Me and a couple of pals rolled the ball next to the, the jack, is it called? Yeah. And we were all right. So we were like, next week, we're going to the Newton Hill Bowls Club. And three of us rocked up Newton Hill Bowls and had a game for Newton Hill. And that was my career. Fascinating. You know, it's a great club, by the way. Very unusual club, actually, because it uses an artificial surface. So Ooh, you can use... Oh, the plate that they released in. It's an artificial... Oh, wow. carpet down in the hills. Uh, it's, it, it's, a, it's a place I've never played at, actually, so you're one up on me on that one. Oh, it's, it's wild. They all come out with their pyro and it's a gas castle. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you actually get in the balls in the first big round? Uh, well, it was through my family. Um, my, my, my dad, especially, was a, a massive influence in my balls. Um, but... My late grandfathers, who well, both my late grandfathers who passed away, um, both recently, um, they were massive into their bowls, and my my nan was as well. And thankfully, my nan is still alive at the moment, and I can still speak to her about this. 
But my family were massively into bowling. Um, I kind of saw it as an opportunity to have some social interaction and competition um, yeah. with people I knew quite well, not just my, my, my dad, but my dad knew a lot of contacts in bowling and I've had some great times in bowls, I'll tell you. But there's some good, there's some good fun. And the great thing about it is it, 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 people watch curling in the in the Winter Olympics and I, they call it chess on ice and bowls is chess on grass. And that's the great not thing about it. No, it's not. It's called chess on carpet. Well, yes, fair enough. But you know what I mean. I think it's a, it's a fascinating game, Robbie. And the great thing about bowling is that I've played the sport now for 16 years. And the great thing about it is I'm still learning. And the great thing about it is any time you step on the green to play, you can you have to play well, otherwise you won't win. And I've had to learn a lot of tough ways to lose games and a lot of great ways to win big matches as well. And, you know, I would recommend anybody to give bowls a shot because bowls is often, I think, characterised as an old man or old woman's game. And that is grossly incorrect because I've been to the Commonwealth Games in 2014. Um, I've been to um, the World Bowls uh, in Aberdeen. I've been to a range of other events um, across Scotland. And there are a lot of young male and female bowlers coming through. Some have represented their country. And I'll tell you what, some of them are absolutely superb and they're a treasure to this country. They really are. It's becoming a bit more mainstream. It's on the TV. I didn't know that it was so popular. A lot of people our age sit and watch it. Like, mm -hmm. It surprised me, but it's obviously I think, the thing is a change. I think they could do more to um, build up the game a little bit more. Both Scotland are really trying to make a big push to try and, uh, you know, promote our game in a better light. I think Australia are the benchmark for uh, long bowling. I think they really promote the game very well. They, I believe, have at least times throughout the year where they showcase bowls events on TV in Australia. And uh, I've got a great friend, Ryan Burnett, who uh, uh, many will know is uh, Darren Burnett's brother, um, is a... Fantastic player in Australia and, uh, you know, plays for Broadbeach, a wonderful club and, uh, you know, one of the biggest clubs in Australia. They really take their bowling seriously. Um, you know, they had the Commonwealth Games in the Gold Coast in 2018. Fantastic, fantastic event. Really was. See, see with it becoming quite mainstream, like you said, and like you were mentioned, and there's a lot of people maybe our age is playing it. Do you, is there any ever aggro? Oh, oh yes. Oh Believe me, there is. Um, Help me. Spend me up. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think most of it is very fair game. Um, there, there is rivalries. Do not get me wrong. There's a lot of good rivalries. Um, so every year outdoors, there is the county championships. It's called the Andrew Hamilton Trophy. Don't ask me why it's called that. Many people listening might know. Andrew um, Hamilton played balls. Perhaps there might be a guy who's called Andrew Hamilton. Apparently that was the game. Anyway, <laughs> the great thing about it is every, every year that competition takes place, it's usually a competition between eight counties across Scot across the north of Scotland. Well, it's 32 countries counties across Scotland, but there's a north, east, west and south. So there's eight counties in the north that take part. There's Buchan, A&K, Aberdeen and Concordon, Bonacord, Highland, Northern Counties, City of Dundee, Perthshire, uh, and one escapes me, uh, Angus. That's the other one. So they, they play off uh, seven matches. They play each other, so it's seven matches. And uh, whoever wins the section qualifies to the semi-finals, or well, it used to be the semi-finals, but I think it's now down to the, the top two qualify for the quarters and the semis in the final. 
And, uh, you know, I've represented Buchan on the, the county st- county stage. Um, it's an interesting experience. You get to mix and play with a lot of other players within your own region. And uh, there's a real mixed range. You know, there's, there's, there's people in there that have played. The youngest player, I think, has played for us has been 18, maybe even slightly younger than that. And the oldest, I would say, in our team has been early 60s. So there's a good range in terms of the, the, the players there. But the quality is, is high as well. This might sound really patronising and against your sport, but is it never tempting just to take the ball and launch it at the rest of them and just smash them everywhere? (laughs) You've been watching too much Black Ball, my friend. Have you ever watched that film featuring Johnny Vegas? Yeah, that would be me. Great film. Yeah, the bin man. I have a question question on that. Right. So I've seen some sports, obviously. Is Is there anything in balls that you could do that would be classed as, like, the biggest disrespect? Like diving in football or kicking yeah. when they're throwing their darts or... Um, doing something when someone's waiting to take a shot or something like that. Would you be along that lines? Yeah, well, when, when I, there's, there's a few things, obviously. There's, you know, standing in kind of someone's eye line when they're ready to play as one, uh, speaking out kind of quite lightly when someone's about to on, play, things like that. On. I'll just write these down. Go. <laughs> <laughs> Go <on. laughs> there's, 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 there's quite a few. Um... But the most general people are, you know, very fair game. And, you know, the quality usually comes through. And that's the great thing about it. Um, what The great thing for me is I've played at under-35s level. I've played at under-25s level. Um, and I've played at senior level for the, for the counties. And the great thing about it is there's friendly rivalry, but on the whole, it's clean rivalry. There, 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 there is obviously a few words sometimes are are said now and again, it happens. It happens in all sports. But yeah. generally, it's competitive. But usually at the end of the game, all is fair. They share a pint after the game, and it's great fun. I've had some really great uh, times, um, you know, playing matches at under-35s and, and under-25s level. And, and, and outdoor as well is usually very, very good, especially when some of the greens are quite quick. Uh, yeah. because, you know, that's what separates the... It's all about adaptation as well. Outdoor bowling is very different than indoor bowling. And I've got a lot of great friends who play the sport and uh, a unique uh, group of friends who, who people won't know and people don't really connect with as much. So that's the great thing about bowls. You, you you find a different kind of circle, a different nucleus of people. It's fantastic. What's it really the highest highest level you can sort of play league bowls at? So you can represent... Um, your your country, you represent Scotland. Yeah, yeah. So like, what's the highest like league level? If that makes sense. With before like, internationals, like uh, international, international, international. Of course, it would be. You know, have you played that? What's the highest you've played? No, no, I, I, I've represented county level. I've, I've never been that good. <laughs> uh, I, I know friends of mine who, who've represented Scotland. Um, I'm going to give a bit of a shout out to, to people like Connor Milne, um, Jason, and Carla Banks up here in the northeast of Scotland. Um, really uh, fly the flag well for, for Scotland um, on the international stage. Connor's a, a great friend of mine, really, really good player. Um, Jason and Carla is a, the Banks family in particular, a, a class act of bowling. They, they, really, they really are, and they really kind of shine the light very well for the northeast of Scotland. But there's other people I could mention as well. There's, there's so many. Um, and I think it, it's, it's not just the top of the game where we should be grateful as well. It's, it's people down below that, that really kind of help people to kind of make inroads into the game because we need bowls at all different levels to, to make sure that, uh, you know, the game thrives and succeeds long term. So what age, what age did you start realising that you were, you were half decent? Um, I, I thought it was decent right about 
sort of 18. You know, I'd won, I'd won the junior singles in my second year I joined the club. I was in the final of my very first year I played. I should have probably won that final. I was 8-0 up. I lost the oh, final. Oh, you bottled it, Granty boy. Well, I, I, I lost it to a, a great friend of mine called Eric Clark, who is a really, really great friend of mine. We still keep in touch to this day. A really, really lovely guy. Um, but, you know, the great thing about it was, uh, you know, in the championship, I've always kind of felt that I've I've kind of worked away and, and sort of learned from the best in the club. I mean, when you're talking about Ellen Bowling Club, uh, certainly in my lifetime, the greatest is Mike Stephen, Michael Stephen, um, 11-time winner at Ellen, uh, an, an absolute uh, master of a delivery, a natural talent. Uh, my dad has won it uh, 10 times as well. So when you're learning of guys who've won 21 Ellen Bowling Club championships between them, playing with them in their teams inside and outside, you really learn a lot. You still learn a lot. So I still play with them both to this day. And, um, you know, I've, I've played with a, a range of other great players, not both at Ellen Bowling Club, but with other clubs as well. And the great thing about it is you never stop learning. Games change. The conditions are very different. The greens can be challenging. The atmosphere can be different. There's a big crowd. It could be, be very interesting to play. So every game is different, and that's the beauty of bowling. Sometimes football can be, you know, you can adopt the same tactics all the time, like Mourinho does with Tottenham or Derry McInnes can do with Aberdeen. But in bowling, every game is different because the order can change within your team, as I mentioned. As I said, the conditions can be different. The opponents can be very different as well. They may play a different style of game to you. So that's the great thing about bowling. And, you know, I look at curling as a, as a, as a similarity to that because... I think curling is just as entertaining to watch. Is bowling a bit like you could rock up and you be like, right, we're going to go for it every time, we're going to try and get the points, and then you'll play a team that's like, oh, we're going to go defensive and protect the little dude in the middle. And is it like um, that? Is some, just... pe- some people do that. Um, I think you kind of have to play to your strengths. You know, I, I'm a winner. I like to win every game I play when I when I step on the green, and sometimes. My my frustration and my my emotions sometimes kind of are laid bare sometimes when I play and I, I realise sometimes that you know I can get a little bit heated with myself. I don't get you play darts. I know how excited you get. I don't get angry at, at people. I get angry at myself. I'm a little bit like Andy Murray in some ways. I look at Andy Murray as a big inspiration. People say to me, you know, who's your inspirations in sport? Andy Murray's one of my inspirations because I look at Murray and you know for him to have won three world. Um, Grand Slams against the likes of Federer, Nadal and Djokovic in that era is absolutely sensational. To have won two Olympic gold medals, to have been world number one, um, to have won a Davis Cup. I look at Murray and I think if he can do it in terms of the group of people he's coming up against, then I can do it too. And the great thing about playing at Ellen Bowling Club, in my opinion, I think it's the hardest competition in the north. I think it's the hardest club in the northeast of Scotland to win the Jazz Championship. And you know, I mentioned Mike Stephen and, and my dad uh, as two names, but there's such a big pool at Ellen that when those two guys go out the tournament, there's other guys that are picking up the pieces, desperate to win the competition. Phil Anderson, um, you guys probably know Phil quite well, the financial services. He won the championship in its centenary year in 2014. I mean, that's a phenomenal accomplishment for a guy like Phil. An absolutely uh, fantastic accomplishment. Gary Simpson's another guy who's won a lot of championships. You know, there's a, Lee Thompson is another guy who's, who's won a lot of Thompson championships as well. So there's a good mix there. And it, every year, you have to be keeping on improving your game. Because if you don't, you get punished. And there's a good pool of players that are waiting and chomping at the bit to beat you. 
and that's the great thing about it. One thing I should say about uh, my time uh, as a bowler at Ellen Bowling Club is that every year when I took part in the championship singles, uh, the mixed handicap singles, and any other competitions for that matter, I always give it absolutely everything. Um, there's a lot of very good players I've mentioned there uh, at the club to beat. Um, and I think to get your name on the board uh, at Allen Bowling Club is very tough. I just mentioned that in my previous answer. Um, but 2019 was a huge year for me and um, I managed to win the Gents Championship uh, for the very first time. Um, I've been so close on numerous occasions to making it to the final. I've been in the semi-finals a couple of times previously. Uh, lost them both narrowly. Um, I've been in the handicap final twice before. Lost both of them. Probably should have won the first one. But 2019, everything just sort of clicked together for me, guys. And, you know, I managed to uh, win uh, the handicap uh, singles final against Mike Stephen, who I've obviously mentioned in this uh, conversation. Mike is a tremendous talent. Uh, I've shared the green uh, both against and with him on numerous occasions. And if you beat him, you know that it's been a, a really good battle. And, uh, you know, he's an absolute class, a very tough guy to beat. Um, to just have won the game against him uh, was absolutely sensational. It was a really, really good test. Uh, probably one of my most satisfying victories in bowls, just in terms of the quality of opposition. Um, but the, the the championship was very special um, in both the handicap and the, the championship en route. I, I beat my dad in both competitions. I've never beaten my dad um, in competitive singles action. Um, I, I beat him in both matches, 121-18 and 121-20. And, uh, you know, that was uh, sensational. I'd never done that before. And then in the final of the championship, I played uh, Derek Jobson, a guy who had been in the final three times before, never won it. So he was going for his first championship as well. This was my first championship final. And a key moment in that championship final came very early on in the game. was 5-2 down. It didn't start the game particularly well. Derek was the better player in the early stages. And he was lying three shots. Um, and I had another loose end that was very poor. And I played a big gamble shot. I, I took a chance. I played a, a running weight bowl. It was it was certainly over the draw, as we call it, in, in bowling. And I got the jack absolute clean as a whistle into the ditch and got a three uh, to draw the game back to five all. And then the next end, I got a three to go eight five in front. So back to back threes. I could have been eight two down and then I turned that around to go uh, myself eight five up. And that's the great thing about lawn bowling. There's so many twists and turns and it's a fascinating game to watch. You could be in total control of a match, um, staving off um, your opposition. And then in one really poor end, uh, you could lose a count of five, a six, or maybe even a full house and eight, uh, or nine and triples. And, uh, you know, that can uh, swing very quickly. But that was a perfect year for me, 2019. Again, I talked about earlier on this podcast about the stars aligning. 2019... Uh, aligned for me so well. I even won the mixed pairs with uh, Anne Singer and uh, I believe and I did check the um, history records on this because I'm a big fan of um, achievements and you know statistics and things like that as you know but I am the first person in Ellen Bowling Club's history to have won the championship, the mixed handicap singles and the mixed pairs all in the same season um, so to just have that accolade in my own head and maybe not um, you know presented worldwide on, on the board of course, you know, to get your name on the board is fantastic but in my own mind I will know that I managed to, to do what I did and, you know, you could say it's 
the pinnacle and it probably will be the pinnacle and obviously moving forward there will be bad days but there will also be some more good days I hope too so I've got my name on the board now it's a big monkey off my back to have won the championship because um, I worked so hard to get over the line um, uh, in 2019 and obviously the pandemic come into play and you know I've not had the opportunity so far at least to defend um, the accolades I won in 2019 so it's going to be really weird when we uh, get back to competitive action hopefully in late 2021 but uh, I'm up for the fight because I'll need to be because there's some really really good competitors at Ellen. Brilliant mate uh, that sparks a question that I'm going to bring on to you Coop as well you know, any like obviously Grant said there about Andy Murray you got any you got any inspirations sporting people apart from Paul Slane obviously I just fancy people eh like <laughs> Beckham <laughs> and I don't, I don't, nah, my, fir my first ever sports person I was like wow and it's going to get me so much abuse was Henrik Larson mm. I must have been about six or seven I remember the boy with the floppy hair mm. and I was like who is that guy man and it's obviously it must have been set at the end in Rangers nine in a row, ten in a row, and I was just like, holy shit, who is that dude? When, it must have been the hay, obviously, you know, I'm like, mm. stand out. And it was Henrik, Henrik Larson was the first person I was like, wow. And then, once I got into football, and then it's Pierce Michael. Yeah. Pierce Michael was, I bubbled when he left my United. Didn't even support my United. Just, he was dying. In terms of in terms of football, because I've obviously talked about money, if you're looking at inspirations for me, my favourite player growing up was Ryan Giggs. Uh, Ryan Giggs was an unbelievable winger for Man United. Everybody talked about Beckham, everybody talked about schools, but Giggs for me was a game changer in so many big games. That goal against Arsenal in that FA Cup semi-final for me is one of the all-time greatest goals. It's an unbelievable solo run. The way he turns uh, Keown and Dixon inside out, and then he has the absolute nerve to just smash it high beyond David Seaman. It's one of the all-time FA Cup goals. And I rib a lot of Arsenal pals of mine about that goal every single time they play each other in the FA Cup or in the league because it's still one of my all-time favourite goals. But Giggs is a person as well. You know, he always strived to get better. He always strove to try and get... to, to get another title, to get another medal, to, yeah. to have another assist, to get more goals than the previous season. He's the first footballer I sort of, like, realised... Obviously, as a kid, you watch when you think, oh, my God, Giggs went from being a, a winger that was quick as fuck to hold a midfielder. Yeah. And you don't get appreciate that until you're no. older and you start understanding football more that boys mm. do that. The boy was yeah. the quickest winger and the best winger in the world. And he just yeah. slaughtered in a hold of midfield. And you're just like, yeah, how good was he? Yeah. I'm going to put something out controversial here. Do you think it marred his career slightly, the fact that it came out he was, uh, obviously, what happened, like, sister's wife? It's what we're thinking about now, is it? Uh, brother's, brother's, he brother's mentioned gigs. First thing I thought about. It's a big problem. It, it's been a problem. Um, and I think, you know, the world of social media now, the world of the news now, yeah. nobody has a private life now, Robbie. And that, yeah. that really is a sad indictment of affairs. You know, yeah. whether he was wrong or right or not is, is not for us to talk about. It's none of our business. But, no. but it's you know, the thing is, though, that, that, that's, that's where who he is takes him beyond things. Because obviously, Cooper's not my brother, but I see him as one. If it came out that I was fucking riding Cooper's wife, not only would I get my tatties handed to me on a silver plate, the whole world would think I'm an absolute clown. Whereas mm -hmm. Ryan Giggs, but because Giggs, he can ping a football about and whip across it. Yeah. 
it takes him away from somebody. You know what I mean? Like, but, what, but the thing is, we're, we're talking about Giggs as one individual, but there's loads of other footballers oh, that have had brushes with instant. Mate, John Terry is one. Of, is a classic example. Sure. John Terry. No, we don't talk about John Terry. Another one. Yeah, of course. But it's it's one of those things where like the stuff that they've done. If you do that as a normal person, you're seen as you're seen as a bit of oh, you're seen as a knob and all this stuff. But because mm. you kick a ball about, it takes yeah. you above. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. You're absolutely right. Can I tell you one story about Wolves, which is, is quite funny? I've got one really great story to, to share with you. with Grant? Come on now. No, no, it's nothing to do with that. So there's one great story I want to share. So uh, we were playing indoors. Uh, it was an under-35s match between Aberdeen. And it was two-legged. So there was a home match and then the away game. So we was playing the home game. And this, this wasn't actually in my game, by the way. This was in the, the actual match itself. So I was playing my game, not thinking anything about it. And then a couple of links down, um, one of the guys from West Lothian, a guy called Callum Logan, um, liked a running shot playing with a, with a lot of pace into the head. There must have been a few down anyway. Anyway, he'd, hit the, hit, he'd come into the head with a lot of pace and he hit the jack so hard, he was bang on target. The jack bounced off a ball and it flew up into the air and landed in a tray full of glasses. It was unbelievable. And the great thing about it was, everybody, it was just coming in slow motion. You just could see it was heading there. I was thinking... Where the fuck is this going? And sure <laughs> enough, smashing it come. But the great thing about it was, it did splatter all over the place. It, the jack sat in a glass. It was unbelievable. He could not have played the shot any better. Because I was I was in the middle of playing the shot, my own shot at the same time. And I looked up and I heard this smash. I was like, what the hell was that? We just was looking at it as Jack flying in the air. It was like, bloody hell, it was quite extraordinary. But that's a very rare occurrence that things like that happen. And uh, you know, there's guys in the game that I've played with who you know, are, you know, maestros at playing running weight. Running weight is not my game. I, I like to, to draw people off the park, but there, there's guys who can play running weight who are absolutely banging the money. Uh, I'm going to give a big shout as well to a great pal of mine, Andrew Thompson, uh, known as the Hawk, an unbelievable driver of the of the jack as well. A really great guy as well. Uh, I've played with and against Andrew many times and another guy who's represented Scotland at the, at the highest level. and A top guy, a really top guy, but my goodness, he likes a running shot as well, but as if you're against them. <laughs> Brilliant. I tell you what, see, when you're talking about all those um, all those words and meanings for uh, bowling, I haven't been out with my dad that much since I had to get naked in a football changing room. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I was just thinking the last three kick I took it out and it nearly hit a bunch of glasses as well. <laughs> so, obviously, moving on to the, um, the, the football side, Ellen United, I, I've got a little note in here. When you were at Ellen United, uh, United Grant, I beat you twice. Does that mean that if I play you and beat you again, I get to keep you on my mantelpiece? You probably do by letter of the law, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how did that how did that come about the the initial joining of Ellen United? Um, first of all, I've got to give a big uh, a kind of elbow in the elbow in the face to Stevie Main because uh, he elbowed me to get involved. Um, he'd spoken to Billy Gordon, who well, everyone knows Billy, uh, a real legend and stalwart of uh, Ellen United Football Club and uh, they'd seen a lot of stuff I was doing with my um, social media with Campbell's Footballs and my Facebook Lives and things like that and uh, and I remember Stephen kind of pulling up outside uh, uh, you know one of the streets I was walking then he'd obviously had seen me he was coming up to my house and I remember him for many many weeks pestering me to get involved with the club and I, 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 I didn't know whether to react as if to say I'm absolutely thrilled and you know, I, I, I'm honoured that you're asking me or, or kind of be flattered at the same time. It was it was really, really strange. And 
I'll tell you, I was trying to find an excuse to say no quite a few times. But the more the guy, and, and this is why I re regard Stephen as one of my one of my great pals, the amount of times he kept badgering me to say, we really like what you're doing. We really think that you could put Alan United on the map and really keep promoting the club. That made me feel really wanted. And I go back to, to talking about succeeding through adversity. You know, when you when you you know when you're when you're in a position where it can be quite tricky to you know kind of get involved in in in, so, in social work kind of socializing and, and the community i think it's uh you know it's great when someone actually wants your services so you know i did say yes it, it did take a lot of persuading a lot yeah. of persuading um and i remember one night myself and mains our first meeting we had it was around about the the time of the the uh, euros and uh uh, no, I'm sorry, the World Cup, sorry. And uh, I remember we went to the Bucking. Uh, and, uh, what a place, by the way. What an <laughs> establishment. We'd, we'd, ha we'd, we'd had a few pints. We'd had a few discussions about, um, you know, what things he was wanting me to do for the season uh, and things like that. And uh, it was around the time Portugal Spain was on that night. That that's how I remember the night so well. Portugal Spain was on, obviously. Everyone remembers uh, the Cristiano Ronaldo free kick. And I remember Adrian Durham saying very highly that he wants hold that on, game to be married. On. He wants to marry that game. I've got a story with that goal. Okay. Uh, me and Goose had just agreed to be co-managers at West Ice, right? And I was sitting in a pub in Turkey. And obviously Spain, Portugal is on, and we're I'm obviously three or four hours ahead. And Goose comes into the WhatsApp group, <laughs> and he writes, how shite are Ronaldo's free kicks? Wow. <laughs> looks up and he... I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the, the, the second win. But that night was really cool because um, a few of the Allen United boys were, were out that night, actually, actually incidentally. So I'm um, going to give a bit of a shout-out to, to Colin Tremaine. Um, Lenny Johnson was there. There was having a few games of pool. I think I came down and actually had to throw my darts at things. I, I just started playing darts for the for the British Bar at the time. So I was practicing at the same time. So anyway, it was a really good night. And it ended up with me actually... <laughs> Getting a little bit incapacitated when I came up the road, and uh, yeah, I had quite a bad hangover the next day. <laughs> that wasn't Mainzer's fault, by the way. That was my own uh, <laughs> so self indulgence. Is, is Ellen is Ellen sort of gaff how you got the name Stato? I want to know. No, Stato kind of came about because um, basically my love of statistics. I've always been really bad at predictions. The great thing about Campbell's Fools, we'll, we'll talk probably about that later on, but. My podcast is Bad Predictions, Cancel a Biggie Crap. I am terrible at predicting football games. I'm terrible at trying to guess the right scores of matches and things like that. You know, people ask me about my own thoughts on games. I haven't won a bet for a long, long time. I, would I know a guy. Uh, I know the feeling. <laughs> I'm terrible at predicting games. But that also marries with my own PhD because I was doing a lot of predictions and statistics within that. So it marries quite well in that way. My love of football and statistics, my love of science and statistics. So. Would you like to hear yeah, my favourite um, Robbie Well Goose betting story? Go on, Ed. Okay, I'll paint the picture. 18 of us go down Edinburgh for a football night out. Me and, me and Robbie are partial to a nap, I'd say. <laughs> so while everyone's in the pub, me, we go for a nap, not together, obviously. Well, top and tail. Well, it was together. And we're watching Soccer Saturday. And we're watching, our, it was FA Cup weekend. And we're sitting watching our coupons come in. And mine's just fucked. And he's sitting going, oh, I've got five out of six teams winning, but Watford's 1-0 down. There's 15 minutes to go. I'm getting 20 quid cash out. And he cashed out. 
Troy Deeney then scored twice <laughs> and went him down for someone like 800 quid. Next thing I hear is crack. Robbie's punched his bed, <laughs> nearly broke his hand. <laughs> <laughs> and I still get reminded of that story every time fucking Troy Deeney scores a goal. My biggest hard luck bet. Um, it was, I, I, I don't bet a lot of money, obviously, gamble responsibly, folks, if you're listening. But I was back a couple of quid on the weekend with my dad. So there was one uh, weekend we did, and I did seven. I was an accident. I was meaning to put six. Anyway, it cost me in the end. I, I, I'd left, I, I'd got six set of six off the Saturday games. I was waiting on Ipswich to win their game, and they won 1 0. And coming into the the, the Saturday, um, this was back in 2014 when Aberdeen were playing Celtic under Ronnie Dyla. And uh, I'd put a draw then on the cube because I thought Aberdeen might get a draw off Celtic. And of course, if anyone remembers the game, Adam Brady oh, opened the scoring and Stefan Johansson had made it 1 1. And Celtic went down to 10 men because Scott Brown had saw red, I think it was for a second yellow. And anyone who remembers the game very vividly, and I'm not saying you better when I say this. Celtic got a corner that never should have been a corner and Van Dyke got the winner from the set piece. That cost me 380 quid. Off a two-pound bet. That was a, a real killer, that. Um, I've not had any big wins uh, at all. They've always been very small wins, but that was not... That would have been my biggest win at the Vigies. And, uh, yeah, I well, still hate Virgil van Dyke. Ironically, ironically... Ironically, about six weeks ago, we put on an Allen group bet and mm. Troy Deeney won a set in the 94th minute with a penalty. And we got right. a little bit of a get 600 quid each. 600 quid each. I think it was even maybe even more. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Well, when you were saying that about Ellen and obviously the sociable side, the social side of it, they sounded really good at Ellen United. All the places you can go in Ellen um, for beers and food and that, where's good to go and why would it be the curry club? <laughs> here's a very here's a very funny story I've never actually been to I've never actually been to Curry Club folks right that's when I'm done see you later bye <laughs> I always say to people when they when they ask me to go to Curry Club you'd have to pay me a thousand quid to go Not so you got a thousand man. quid I'll come oh, <laughs> I can guarantee you get right my now. Ellen wages to get him to Curry Club <laughs> I can guarantee you right now Grant the first time that you come to the Ellen Amateurs Cup Final me and Cooper will get a pink huge down your throat and we'll get you in the Curry Club Oh, promise. oh dear! So obviously, obviously, at the end, the Ellen United sounded like a really enjoyable role. Why did it kind of filter out in the end? What what kind of put an end to that? Listen, a lot of people. Yeah, will, listen, a lot of people will want to know why I left. Um, I'm going to be very honest in my analysis with this. First of all, I had a really great time under under Stephen's management. I thought Stephen was a really great guy. He made everyone feel very wanted at the club. Um, I thought he got the best out of the team. They were a lot more unlucky to be where they were in the league, but in my opinion, deservedly stayed up um, that season. Stephen left and he persuaded me to stay. Um, at that period of time, I thought I should go because really Stephen was a big part of my reasoning to go in the first place. Um, but he kind of urged me to, to stick around and help the new guy come in. And obviously Tommy Robertson came into the job. And early days, uh, obviously with Tommy, um, I struggled to kind of connect with Tommy and that wasn't his fault. I think it was probably my naivety and my lack of, you know, acceptance of a new beginning that, that maybe was a big part of early on at the start. Um, so I, I want to say that on record that it was, it was probably my own fault that that kind of, kind of start of the, Tommy's tenure didn't get off to the best of starts for, for probably the both of us, but but certainly from my point of view, it's probably been my own fault. Anyway, 
Um, I thought Tommy was, I thought, very harshly treated at Allen. I thought, and I still maintain this to this day, I thought he had a lot of good ideas at Allen. I thought he had an interesting style, interesting technique, very different style to, to Stevens, but he wanted to adopt the team to his own beliefs. And, and, and fair play to any manager who comes in who wants to do that. Um, yeah. I think, you know, we, we had a couple of great times. We obviously beat Bonnie, sorry, we beat Bonas United Juniors, which was a, a sensational result down there on penalty kicks. Um, but I don't know. I just think, you know, in management, you know, some things click and some things don't. And, you know, I think, in my view, I think Ellen United should be trying to look to be a Super League club for as long as it possibly can. But the problem is, because you have the Aberdeen City Clubs, you have other kind of powerhouses that are starting to, to really make it in the in the game. Obviously, we know how strong Banks at the are. We know how strong Bridget Donsessel are. We know how strong Hermes Kutter are. But for me, Ellen should be looking to be solid mid-table to lower kind of top of the bottom half. But there was games I, I turned up to and I just didn't feel that there was a belief in the team. I didn't feel that there was a connection with the team. Now, that could be down to chemistry with the players. It could be down to tactics. Who knows? It's not my place to say. But I do feel that there was times I came to the game and in my own mind, I was thinking, not any out of order to, to, to people who were who were really wanting me there, but there was a kind of a time when I was thinking, I'm, I'm feeling a slightly disconnected with, with, the, with the team and disconnected with the players. And as I said, I think that's partly down to my lack of ability to adapt um, at the time. Um, I think by the end of it, I think, you know, Tommy tried to understand what I was trying to do. And I think, you know, by then, and I, I still maintain this, this was, not, this was not Tommy's fault why I walked away. I walked away because I wanted to really push with Campbell's footballs. I really wanted to push to make my podcast a success. I had some great times and we'll obviously discuss that later on. But I felt personally that I had put Ellen on the map in some ways and I had laid solid foundations for the club. But I didn't feel long term I could be that guy to hone in that hours, concentrate on my own podcast, concentrate on my own job, concentrate on my bowling. There was a lot of fingers and pies I'd had. And I couldn't fully commit to making Alan my own a success. Um, so I decided to, to take a break. I'm not ruling it coming back. May, may I just say that on record? I may come back in the future. But I think at the time, the decision for me to really make my podcast as good as it possibly can was what drove me to do that. Um, but I have no hard feelings. And I hope anyone listening to this feels that there's no hard feelings as well. Because, you know, I'm not a guy who falls out with a lot of people. Um, I'm a person who doesn't like conflict. I'm a person who feels that if people don't particularly agree with what I have to say, I'd like them to say it to my face. And I'd like them to actually say, look, we, we don't really agree with what you're saying. We want us to go this way. And I would understand what they were trying to do. I know a guy like that. <laughs> so <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think it goes back to what I said. I think, you know, I, I, it, it was very tough. It was very hard for me. And I was going through a period where I was coming along to games and I, I just I just wasn't feeling it. Um, and as I said, that could be within your own skin. But I don't think it was with any of the players. I don't think it was any of the staff or, or Tommy or anything like that. I think it was just me. Um, do I regret it? Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But, you know, as we'll probably go on to talk about, you know, Campbell's Fools have been really good to me over the last 18 months or so um, in terms yeah. of really pushing it as a success, as a success story. And, you know... I think that drove me on, and in the end, I think 
overall balancing things out, it was the right decision. Right. Before we obviously go on to Campbell's footballs, carrying the, the, the batting in the Commonwealth Games, how, how did that come about? Where did they... He wasn't, he wasn't running the relay, Rob. He carried the torch. No. He, he said to me, Grant, please confirm what you did. Yeah, so I was, actually, I was actually trying to, uh, to to turn my laptop around, but I think I'll pull the, the, the cables out of this because I can show you because I've actually got a canvas on my wall here showing this. So in 2014, my mum had put me forward as you know an inspiration in the in the community for, for doing a range of different things in terms of talking about my, my Asperger's and a range of other uh, things, bowling, etc. Um, so we weren't really thinking much of it. We were thinking, oh, there'll be a huge pool of people, you know, They'll give it to you know range of other more well worthy causers than, than myself. Was it a torch or a baton? It's the baton. The torch is the Olympics. Can I just quickly pause this podcast to say, get that right fucking up you? <laughs> edit, edit, edit. Got <laughs> <laughs> it, got it on Grant. Anyway, so uh, lo and behold, I, I, I've been accepted for it. So, um, you know. I remember the day very well. We went up to um, Duff, Duff uh, up in Banff. Sorry, up, Duff House up in Banff. And, uh, you know, it, it was all very well organised. And, you know, you had to you had to kind of carry it uh, for, a, for a sustained period of time. I think it was like 10 minutes at a time. You had to do like a section of this course. Um, I remember people like Glenn Thompson were involved. Um, people know Glenn from the footballing circles. Um Colin Gallagher was involved as well. He did a lot of stuff through Scotland's Scottish Sport. Um, so I knew Colin was a very well. He was my guidance teacher at Ellen Academy. So that was very special. A lot of well-known uh, Ellen uh, people that were involved as well. It was just such a fascinating day. And, you know, I, I, I've got it on my campus here, uh, 081 on my shirt. You know, it's a, it's a very special moment with me. And I, I have it as a canvas in my room. Uh, and I wake up to every morning and I look at that picture as inspiration to say, yet again, as I said earlier on, you can do anything if you put yeah. your mind to it and you have a bit of balls to do it. And, yeah. you know, it's a piece of, it's a slice of history because obviously I was at um, Glasgow for the 2014 games. I went to see the Rugby Sevens and Long Bowls events and it was a special, it was a special year. And, uh, you know, I look back on it with very fond memories and I think uh, there's a BBC photo of me about it somewhere on, online, which is quite cool. I've been on the BBC before, just a shame it was Crime Watch. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I, think I even had a little uh, text script as well, which was quite cool. Um, but no, nah, really great memories. And again, I'd, I'd love to thank my mum, especially for that moment. Brilliant, mate. That's class. And, was, and, it, was nice, and it was a nice day too, which helped. It wasn't there. <laughs> Where did you carry it? Through Ellen? Yeah. No, it was, it, it, was it, it was up, I was up near Banff. It was at... Uh, oh, sorry, I... Nice. Yeah. So on, on to the... Um, the main body of the, the pretty much the reason you're on this show today, Campbell's footballs. What um, obviously I said when I gave you your introduction that it was coming on your show that gave me the idea to do mine. What kind of what brought it on for you? So um, obviously we're all on social media and we all love talking about football, sport, um, politics, you name it, a range of topics of interest. Anyway, so. Obviously, I, I keep up to speed with what's happening with, you know, developments in technology and developments in social media. And when Facebook Live came on the go, I thought, you know what, I'm going to piss about with this. I'm going to just have a bit of a go and I'm just going to 
basically talk shite about football for an hour and just see how it goes. I do that, yeah. And, that's, what I do. that's what me and Cooper do every Saturday afternoon in Meadows. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as I said earlier on, um, no, I love having a go at predicting the scores of football matches. Mostly wrong. Um, but I thought, you know what, I'm going to do this and let's see how many people interact. And usually there's a lot of people uh, looking on and, and commenting on things, saying, you know, interesting thoughts about Leeds' incident with Arsenal, for example, at the weekend or things like that. I would usually kind of do a little bit of a, it was a monologue in essence. It was a review of the, of the week and then my predictions at the end. And then I thought, okay, the Facebook Live is going well. I'll try and introduce like a guest segment, kind of seldomly, but get people on from from people I know in, in my own life. So my friend Gavin was on it. I, I had people like Chris Dokon, who many people listening to this will know very well. Doker's a, a great pal of mine. I had people like Paul Ironside on the on the podcast. I had loads of, uh, you know, Aberdeen-associated connections as well that are pals of mine that have been on it too. So it's just been a bit of a laugh. It's been something different, a bit of enjoyment. And then I thought, you know, I, I enjoy doing it as a Facebook Live, but I want to also make sure that I can create a legacy with what I'm doing. So yeah. I decided to turn it into a podcast. Um, you know, I decided to kind of continue on that role. So, you know, I've done 175 plus shows of these now. And, you know, I, I started doing them in the summer of 2018. And, uh, you know, always oh, kind of really started to kind of pull them onto to Anchor and Spotify and all these sort of things in the last kind of couple of years. So, you know, it's 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 been a phenomenal story, but you know, it's it's really kind of come about for me just just talking a heap of shite on a Saturday morning when yeah. people are just kind of getting up after a, a, a heavy night on a Friday, which is uh, you know quite funny. See, I don't. <laughs> I sorry. I don't do praise. I'm very bad at giving praise, and I listen to Robbie's podcast, but I can't. It, it, it's weird for me to listen to his voice, if that makes sense, because I know him so well and I see him most. And I've listened to a few years and I don't say, oh, that's a really good one, but I actually really enjoy them. Like, the only podcast I listen to has been Robbie's, yours, and Open Goal, which mm. I love. But it's just like, it's weird. I find it weird when you know someone and you listen to the voice. Yeah. You feel Robbie, like... Robbie, yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Robbie, I just want to add on as well. Okay, we're talking about inspirations and idols and... You know, I watch a lot of game shows and, and things like that in terms of presenting. Um, yeah. And someone who is a bit of an inspiration in, in sort of presenting is uh, Bruce Forsyth, the late Bruce Forsyth. And, uh, you know, yes, that the great thinker pose is brilliant. And, uh, you know, there's a great shirt. There's a great picture of me on Facebook. You can find it. And uh, oh, it's, well. me do, it's me doing the thinker pose with my, uh, with my uh, banjos uh, green shirt. In the British bar one night, it was a uh, very, very funny. It's not and on the show, Grant. Keep it clean, please. If I if I can <laughs> if I can find it, I'll, I'll have to tag it. I'll have to tag you in it because it's it's like one of my all time favourite pictures. I've got, I've got a lot of questions about like podcasts. And I just well, like, well, who's well, like you, you you've both to be both right. So you will both have a dream guest. Yes, like, Tyson Fury, David Beckham, a superstar. Mm-hmm. But then I've just got a realistic dream guest, if that makes sense. Yes. Who's, who's, who would it be? James Richardson. Who's that? Oh, the... Gazzetta Football Italia film. Yeah. The Baldi guy? Yes. Yeah. An absolute legend of... Who would, you, who would your dream be? Like a... My dream. My dream guest. Yeah. Alex Ferguson. Uh, Goose? Robbie? My, um, my realistic target 
would be Simon Ferry. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> and my my dream guest to get on my own stuff is a sport related would be Tyson Fury. Yeah. But if, if I'm looking for outside of sport, um, I would say someone like Ricky Ross from Deacon Blue. It would be up there. Or Paul Laurie. Paul, I'm pretty sure Paul Laurie would come on. No? Yeah. Paul Laurie would be yeah. realistic, no? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, I suppose, but I, I think the thing is, it, it's it's it, it's so well, it's so wide, you know. I think I think it's trying to find someone that's unique, you know. I, I've been very lucky to. I mean, I'm sure Robbie will ask me this, but I've, I've been very lucky to talk to a lot of footballing related people. But I've had a few non-related, non-football related people from from other parts as well, and that's the great thing about my show. Anybody who has good crack, come on the show and just just talk about their journey, and it's fantastic. Who was um who was your first guest and when it went to when it transitioned to Campbell's football? So my very first guest was a guy called Martin Stone who writes a blog called The Unmodern Man. Stone, um, is he known as Stonefish? Yes. I know who you mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Really really nice guy. Yeah. Uh, he's and games, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's a top guy and writes a very good blog, by the way, The Unmodern Man, um, which I think people should go and check out. He was, he was really good. We were talking a lot about the Europa League qualifiers and things like that. that. That was one I did over Skype. But, you know, I'm sure Robbie will hopefully get to experience this coming out of the pandemic. But the great ones for me are the ones I've, I've done face-to-face with people. I mean, yeah. one of the first ones I did was uh, that I did really oh, well. That I really enjoyed. Oh, that really flags up. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I've got excited. Giroud scored and I fancy him so much. Yeah. <laughs> Live football update for you on the show. Yeah. Um, what, was I, what was I talking about? Oh yeah, one of, the first, one of the first sort of um, sort of live shows I did with, with people outside of uh, you know just talking on a computer screen would probably be with my uh, with my great friend Gavin. We we went and actually did a show of my podcast in University of Aberdeen's grounds, which was pretty cool. We actually sat, sat outside. Uh, we actually sat outside New Kings and did it, and that was pretty cool. That was pretty special. Yeah. So that was pretty good. That's brilliant, mate. And um, who's um. I'm going to put you on the spot. Favourite guest? Craig Brown. 100%, 100% Craig Brown. It has to be. And I'll give you a couple of stories with, with my story with Craig Brown. So, um, preparing for the show, you know, I thought, okay, obviously I worked flexi hours when I was when I was working at Marine School and Science when I was doing it. So I thought, okay, take a slightly early finish, I'll, I'll get myself ready and no, I'll head up to his, to his house where he was staying in, in the city. So I'm coming down the lift and the uh, lift breaks down. Lift breaks down and I'm stuck in the lift for half an hour. So I'm just myself. So I've got Craig's number, thankfully. So I'll give him a ring. I say, Craig, I'm so sorry. I'm stuck in the lift here. I don't know how long it'll be. He says, oh, don't worry about it, Graham. We can, you know, we can rearrange it some other time. He says, listen, I'll keep you in touch. I hope to get out of here very soon. Um, so I'll keep you posted on how things go. So eventually, about 40 minutes later, uh, they get me out of the lift. So I'm sort of running like a hell to try and get up to, to where he is. Um, so I get there and I'm completely lost. I've no clue where the hell this place is. I'm in the right vicinity, but I don't know where he is. So I'm on the phone to Craig. And I'm like, where, where are you? Because I'm, I'm, I'm relatively here. Where are you? And then the next thing I know, he, he's standing outside, a way to get his Mercedes to, to come and pick me up. <laughs> and I'm sort of frantically waving. I'm saying, don't get a car here. So he sees me. And then obviously I, I, I walk up to his eyes and we, we obviously get in and yeah, we, we start talking. I stayed there for three hours and there's some great, great stories that I had with uh, with Craig um, about so many great memories and, uh, you know, you know, just, just talking to him about Scotland, um, talking to him about Aberdeen, this time at Motherwell, just about general footballing affairs, absolutely second to none. A great picture I had with him as well. The great thing about it is 
he offered me a lift to the bus stop um, in, a, in his Mercedes after the show. And a lot of people don't know that story. But, nice. you know, it's it's a, a true class act to the man. Top guy. Some great stories. Um, you know, one of the best stories I think he told him it was the one when, uh, I, you know, people may have heard this one, but it was actually a Tom Cowan story about his pal having to go to the toilet at 62 because he, uh, yeah, he had, yeah. had diarrhea. And uh, he came back and the score was 6-6. Six, six. And uh, he says to Tom Cowan, the boy says it's 6 each. It can't be 6 each. He says, it is 6 each. And Mr. Pell, he says, oh, well, Tom, that's the best shite I've ever had. <laughs> it's not my favourite jokes. But um, <laughs> no, nah, top guy. And honestly, people do not um, interact my show regularly, but you know, know of me. My first podcast that people should listen to is that one. It's a two-part special. There's the Scotland part and there's the Cobb part. And I think they're both really good. Still my favourite shows. Not my most listened to shows, amazingly. But I think it's my favourite show. It's certainly my most experienced show that I've enjoyed the most. How, how, said, do, you, how do you years. go about getting in touch with Craig Brown? Just Ask the club. Ask the club. And I knew yeah. a, a couple of contacts within the club who uh, sent me in the right direction. Um, it's like a double barrel question here, right? You see, when you're trying to get folk on, do you just fire the messages and stuff? And I, I, I just try to, I just try to be um, nice. Is it, is it nice? Yeah. Is, but I, I, I just, I, I kind of go off on a whim at times. I try to say, look, my name is Grant. I do my podcast, Campbell's Footballs. Um, I take a great interest in your story of your career. I would love you to come on the show. Um, yeah. And I sort of say people that I've that I've had on my show, and I've been very lucky, guys. You know, I've I've start, I've chatted to people like Jim Machilton and Matt Holland, who were in that Ipswich team back in the early two thousands. A really tremendous team. You know, I've, spoken, I've spoken to Tam Cowan. I've, I've spoken to you know people like David Bingham had a wonderful career at hey, Livingston. Bingham with the lugs, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I've spoken to Peter Grant, the Alloa manager. You know, I I've, spoken, one, yeah. I've spoken to a lot of Northeast uh, Scotland connections as well. Mark Cowie, uh, Fraserburgh manager, Paul Lawson uh, for Martin. Um, you know, people like Mainzer. Um, but I've also had a really great affiliation with Northern Irish football as well. And I, I feel very grateful to have been able to kind of make a little bit of a own niche market over there and, you know, to chat to some of the cars over in Northern Ireland. Is there, is there anyone in the second part of my question? Is there anyone like either Pie or just, or been a bit of a prick? Or is there any podcast you've done, like Simon's Ferry speaks about, he's done a slander and he thought. Is there anyone you've done? I know you might want, don't want to bad mouth anyone, but is there anyone you've spoken you just thought nothing really happened there? Nothing. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one. I, I won't say this person's name, but I, uh, yeah. I, I, I will say that eight individual I asked to come on the show wanted me to pay a thousand pounds for them to come on. And I'm sorry, mate. I'm skin. It's a fire. It's a and, pandemic, and I'm skin. And I'll tell you. <laughs> I'll tell you for one, right? This guy was not a Premier League winner. He was not a, a big name, really, in football, in my opinion. A thousand, a thousand quid. Hundred, and I was like, that that kind of sucks in a way. Um, but, you know, when I get knockbacks like that, I just think, you know what, let's try and be creative and let's try to get another route in or try to go a different direction. And that's the great thing. And I go back to the Northern Ireland connections because, you know, Linfield are a club that I connect with quite a lot. You know, I've chatted with people like Matthew Clark, who's a top guy, Andy Waterworth, all-time record goal scorer at Linfield. Chatted to Joe Gormley, who's all-time record goal scorer at Cliftonville. Have you ever tried to get on a guy called Winky Murphy? I'm on my way of trying to get him. I want to get I, Owen first, though. I shared a hotel with Winky Murphy in Turkey, and what a man, by the way. Oh, brilliant. That's fantastic. What a man. <laughs> I've got a photo somewhere. 
What a man. Robbie, you have to go and check this guy. This guy's an absolute character. Him and Stephen so, Douglas are unbelievable. So I met this Winky Murphy, right, in my hotel, and everyone was, and I, there was a Northern Irish couple, oh, that's Winky, and I was like, don't know who he is. I Googled him, right, and the first story that comes up with Winky Murphy is what happened to him when he got caught being a bit naughty in Spain. But Stephen Douglas is another character. They're good pals, and obviously they're at Coleraine. And Oren Kearney is the manager at Coleraine, and people know Scottish football will know that Oren Kearney managed Samirin. So you know, my one of my dreams in terms of connecting with Northern Irish was to get Oren on the show. But oh, I'd, no. I'd love to chat with Winky too. He's some car. Question for you, Grant. Where's the where's the the Northern Ireland Irish football kind of? came from like you, you follow that a lot you do a lot of stuff before, on that before that you answer from? sorry before you answer I've always said your accent as a Northern Irish twinge is that is there a family connection or anything there's no family connection I've just picked it up by watching a lot of football to, so to answer Robbie's question I I kind of stumbled across it by accident I like, like a lot of things I stumbled across them by accident I was really bored one day uh, during my PhD and if you want to check this out by the way before I say my full answer I'll, I'll drop people an article to go and read that I, I write for Football CFP, which shows my love affair with Northern Irish football. Anyway, the story comes about that in 2015, I was very bored one day. I was in a, like it was a cafe in the in, in the city centre. And, uh, you know, I was looking at old football highlights because I was a bit bored. And, uh, you know, the weekend's football had passed, but I, I, I felt like I had a spare time. So I watched the, the Irish League show, which was uh, on iPlayer, um, presented by Joel Tagger and uh, Chris Morgan. And I was watching it and I thought, OK, this is a, an OK standard. But, you know, I think it's maybe something that I could maybe kind of connect to a little bit more. So I watched two or three of these. And, uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, that was a, 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 really interesting, uh, a really interesting time of it. So what are the... I can time wore on and I started watching more and more of it and I thought I, I could connect to this. So I, I, I reached out to a few podcasts and, and listened to a few of the stories and I tried to connect to a few of the clubs by listening into the shows. And, uh, you know, I started kind of following some of the, the, the kind of players that were in the leagues, as I mentioned, some of them at, at the bigger clubs, Linfield, Cliftonville, Glentour and Coleraine, etc. But after a while, I started to interact with, you know, people that were working in the media and in the, the newspapers over in Northern Ireland. And I kind of realised that actually these are hardworking guys. It's maybe not the, the, the Premier League. It's not the, the Spanish League. It's not the Champions League. But these guys are hard. They're hard grafters. They give everything 90 minutes plus, And all they want to do is win the game on the pitch, no matter what. And, it, 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 there's so much I can say with the Northern Irish football that I feel can connect in some ways to Scottish football. And I think people need to, I think, give Northern Irish football a little bit more credit than it deserves because Coleraine's story, for example, you know, they got to the, the, the Europa League, they, they, they beat Maribor, they just lost to Motherwell on penalties, Linfield got to the playoff round a couple of years ago, they, they lost to Carabag in away goals. And I, I opened up and I, I chatted to a couple of the commentary guys there. I chatted to Michael Clark, who's a, a really great up-and-coming commentator in Northern Ireland. Uh, he does his own podcast, which is very, very impressive. Um, he, I've, I've chatted to a lot of players in the league. I follow a lot of the, the players on Instagram. And the great thing about it is they feel delayed as well because people outside of Northern Ireland, i.e. me, are interested in their league. And that, for me, is quite good. And I think more and more... 
if you want to succeed in or create a niche market, not just in podcasting, but in general, sometimes you kind of have to think outside the box and try and follow a league that is different from Scottish football or different from the English Premiership. I've been a, I, I've been to Northern Ireland a few times just for the night out sort of thing, and I've went to five or six games. Mm. What level do you think they're at? I would say lower championship league one. Yeah. That's what I think. But I tell you, the gap is closing. And I think the quality is improving. Yeah. I think that the sponsor of the league in Niffle has, has really improved the game. I think the marketing has been very good over there. I think the professionalism is improving year on year. You're seeing more money coming into the league. We're seeing teams like Glen Torren and Larn you know, get a lot of backing. Kenny Bruce, who's one of the, the big names in Northern Irish football in circles, the, the founder of Purple Bricks, has put a lot of money into Larn Football Club. Um, they're really kind of having to have a bit of a crack at trying to disturb Linfield, who are the team to be almost every season in the Northern Irish League. And you've got teams like Cole Rayan, who, you know, are outside the Belfast quartet that every season always seem to do fairly well. And people kind of look at them and say, oh, they're going to fall away. They'll have a good start, but they'll probably fall away. But I, I kind of looked at Corey were one of my inspirations when I started following the league because they had a similar style of football to what Aberdeen were in the early days under Derek McInnes. They, they played to their strengths. The they had a little bit of a style about them. Yeah. And they used their wingers very well and they had guys who could score goals. So that was that was the great thing about it. And, you know, I, I, I've tried, that's it. There's some real characters in the league. Um, you know, Matthew Clark, you know, was an academy player at Rangers, you know, real connections there. Uh, absolutely fantastic character. You know, people like Joe Gormley, who all-time record goal scorer at Cliftonville, played in that two-legged match against Celtic. And, you know, unbelievable story there. But even some of the provincial teams, like your Warren Points, your Carricks, your Portadines, your Dungannon Swifts, etc., they're not there to make up the numbers. They can take it to the big teams as well. And last, that's the great thing about the last, it. The last game I went to was Crusaders against the Swifts. And it was on Crusaders playing Astro, right? Yeah, Crusaders played CV on Fuji. Yeah. But, but the setup that Crusaders had, was all, it, was, it was all, I got the impression it was all quite new. Yes. But it was unbelievable. Like, I'm not, it was unbelievable. The little bar under the ground and had yes. a main stat. It was like a shit all over Aloha and Stenrock yeah. and... And there, Crusaders are, what, top four, top five? Yeah, they, they won the league. They won, won the, the league, league a couple of seasons. Ago, yeah. They won the league a couple of seasons ago. Um, you know, they, they've been one of these teams under Stephen Baxter, their manager, who, in my opinion, have had an unbelievable story. There's actually a great documentary on it called Keeping the Faith, which I think is still on YouTube. It was on the iPlayer. Very, very good documentary. But one of my great friends who I've connected to through podcasting, a guy called Darren Potts, he's a massive Crusaders fan. And, uh, you know, I've, I, I kind of connected to Darren. He's got his own great podcast, by the way, called The Podcast, which you should check out. But, you know, chatting to Darren and chatting to a few guys that I've connected to the Northern Irish League circles through following the league, I, I think a lot of people are starting to, to kind of appreciate, you know, someone from Scotland kind of following it, but also kind of appreciate as well that actually I don't have the maximum knowledge, of course, but I have a little bit of knowledge about it as well. And, you know, it's neutral. Which is great. There's no affiliation to a particular yeah. club, which, which I think is unique. Except Linfield. I didn't <laughs> say that. <laughs> just um, last question on this, and then we're going to finish with just something a little bit of fun. But what's the what's the plans for the future for Campbell's footballs? Where you where you want to go with it? 
uh, to get to 200 shows uh, for a start. Um, so I'm not too far away from that. And to be honest, Robbie, I, I really enjoyed just doing it. I want to try and get a few more local guys on the show because I do think that the local guys uh, offer a different insight, a unique insight that, you know, we, we all want Simon Ferry, we all want Henry Larson, we all want St. Alex Ferguson, etc. The likelihood is we probably won't get these people. But the thing is, there's a lot of guys in the local game. And I want to give a bit of a shout out, by the way, to the guys at Two Blokes and a Mic and to James McClay's Beyond Canal Park podcast because they're doing some great things with their own shows and they're trying to do, I believe, a very competent job in, in, in trying to get that connections in their own areas in Tulliff and in the, in, up in the north. And they do yeah. it very, very well in the ad. Um, so I think from my own perspective, it's just to continue doing what I'm doing, to keep making connections and, and just take it from there. I enjoy it. And, you know, I hope people enjoy what I have to say and what my guests have to say because at the end of the day, if they do, then it makes it all worthwhile. Brilliant, mate. Right. We've, we've spoken about the career. We've done everything. Been a brilliant interview, very open, honest, been brilliant from the start. What people you haven't, I don't think we've mentioned it tonight, but anyone that has you on social media and that, see that you do your you do your quizzes and stuff. So we're going to, a bit of fun, we're going to finish with welcome to Cooper's University Challenge. Oh, for God's sake. Right, no, right, stop. <laughs> I wrote these questions and I shit you not, you have named the answer to the six of them already. I obviously okay. tailored the questions and I swear to God, when the answers come out, we'll go, you mentioned that. You mentioned, it's, it's scary. <laughs> it's, it should be some sort of guru. Right. Well, what we're going to do is Cooper's going to ask you the questions, Grant, and obviously we're gonna, we'll ask them one at a time and take them down, take your note or whatever, and we'll go through the answer at the end. So... The people that can listen to the show if they're listening in their car. Scary, or whatever. by the way. This is scary. Right. right. Okay. Very I'm really scary. nervous about this. Everything so people, awesome and I went, for fuck's people sake. At home, people at home can play in as well while they're going. So we're going to, um, old Stavros will read out questions one at a time. He'll give you a little gap so you can write down your answer if you're, if you're listening at home. It's not Does he fancy can... himself as Stavros flatly, by the way? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's, it's, that's me that's got the Stavros flatly body. So, um, well, I, I was obviously the, the people at home complain. I was going to go about on about a fundamental niche, but I thought, no, we'll, we'll, keep, we'll keep it, we'll keep it light. So, Dr. Campbell, mm. question one Apart from Robbie Wild Goose, what is the hardest substance on earth? Oh, for God's sake, <laughs> what is the hardest substance on earth? And it is not me looking at photos of David Beckham. <laughs> Jesus. Right, you got an answer? Next next question. Oh, oh, oh this is good. This is gonna be a nightmare. <laughs> next next question. At what temperature are Celsius and Fahrenheit equal? Oh no. <laughs> I tell you what, I don't know what's gonna be more obvious here. The fact that we've outed Grant Campbell as a fraud live on air. Or the fact well, there's probably people punching steering wheels left, right, and centre. Well, is that the University of Cranfell? Hello, we've got we've got a fraud. <laughs> Ever seen suits? <laughs> oh man, I should know that. You should that's know a, that, Doctor Campbell. Yeah, that's embarrassing. I should know that. Okay, okay. I have I have something, but I don't think okay. it's right. Next question. We'll give you a little easy one. Which modern day country was Marie Curie born? 
which modern day country was Marie Curie born? I told you I was rubbish at answering questions. I'm good at presenting them questions because <laughs> I'm rubbish at answering them. Oh, bloody hell. Um, it's probably too obvious. I hope we've, I hope we've got this has caused some domestics in households and stuff. Question over four. Questions. Who wrote A Brief History of Time? I think I know that one. I think you've got that one. I think. Number five. Which, which organ is the largest in the human body? I know, I definitely know that one. Well, this is what I get to that. Ryan Fenby out the showers. Uh, <laughs> okay, which player has made the most appearances in Premier League history? Oh Jesus! This has been a total disaster. Right. right here we go. Hold on. Is this is this all one football related coup? So His next, the next, the next, the, the, the next five are football related. Yeah. Right. And now I'm entering the game. Okay. Player two is out of the game. Stefan Squartz mm-hmm. had what clause inserted in his contract when he signed for Sunderland? Jesus. You should know that because I go on about it all the time. No, I've never heard you go on about that story. We'll see. No idea. Next one. Which outfield player featured in three Champions League finals in three different decades? Oh, great question. Great question. I'll give you a clue. It was in the 90s onwards. Did you did you say outfield player? Outfield player. Outfield player. Mm. Motherfucker. Oh. <laughs> That's a fucking dollar of a question, that. Question four. Robbie, come on. <laughs> Stephen Lovell <laughs> is which ex Premier League manager's half brother? Oh wow, what question that is as well. And I mean they share a mother. I genuinely have no clue. <laughs> I'm still trying to guess the footballer that played in the 90s, 2000s and 10s. Ready for the next question? Yeah, go on. This one's a gimme. Didn't know you mention 40 times the podcast. Which Cliftonville striker <laughs> has finished top league goal scorer in the last three seasons? Oh, yes. <laughs> Thank you, Joseph Gormley. <laughs> right, we're done. Ready for the we're answers? Done. Yeah, I've got, I've, got, I've got answers. Right, question one. Hardest substance on earth? Well, I put rock, but I put granite then. Diamond. Oh, of course it is. Of course it is. Well, granite is close and it's carbon. Oh. Oh, I'm annoyed at that. I should have got that. <laughs> which Do you know what I won so far, big boy? <laughs> which, temperature, which temperature are Celsius and Fahrenheit equal? Uh, I said minus 12, but I don't think that's low enough. Minus 40. Oh, I didn't think it was that one at all. Nah. Where, where was Marie Curie born? It's too obvious to be fans, isn't it? Greece. Yeah, we'll never go that. This is going very well, folks. <laughs> I know. Who wrote the, the Gambles uh, quizzes? 
Fucking hell. Who wrote a brief history of time? I would say Charles Darwin. Stephen Hawking. Oh, is it? Yes, it was. Sorry. I have a question for you, Cooper. Oh. What's more of a fraud? Grant Campbell doing quizzes after his performance so far or me giving uh, weight advice? Grant Campbell quizzes. <laughs> got to be me. Largest organ? Skin. Well done, he's got yeah, one. I've got a point. I've, I'm gaining back some respectability here. We'll see. Right. Most Premier League appearances? Gareth Barry. Correct. Yes, get in. Right, Stefan Squartz had what inserted in his contract? Was it to be captain against Newcastle? Nope, he wasn't allowed to travel to space during his Wow, that's, that I would never, ever have got that. <laughs> right, which, which outfield player played in the three finals? Paul Scholes. Right, come on now. Ryan Giggs. Oh, of course it was. Oh, I, thought Scholes, it I thought Scholes played in the 10s. He was suspended in the remember? Oh, of course he was suspended. Of course he was. I should have caught that. Steve Lovell is which ex-Premier League manager's half-brother? <laughs> Come on, give me some glory. It's, my it's, not, it's not Avram Grant. <laughs> I have no idea. Rupert? The answer, Stephen, is Edward Howe. Correct, Robbie. Oh, wow. I would never have got that. Fair and the Cliftonville striker was, yeah, who cares? Yeah. Joseph Gormley. Correct. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute weapon of a show. You're welcome. Dan, thanks for obviously opening up them first thing in the interview. Really appreciate you kind of. We, me and Stephen had a kind of inkling that we were going to maybe discuss something a bit important. So we're glad that you opened up on it. Anyone that's listening in to the show today that's kind of got anything that's that means something to them or the bit we touched on with mental health and that if ever, anyone ever wants to speak to the page or open up to the page, please message us. We're always going to be um, listening. Cooper, first of all, thanks for coming on, being my co-host. I'm sure we'll see you again shortly and uh, looking forward to kind of how the reaction went with this. Grant, keep on doing your good work with the Campbell's footballs and I wish you the best of luck. Cheers, Goose. Cheers, Cooper. Thanks Watch very much lads. for your time. Good touch. Thank you, lads. Hope everyone enjoyed that really uh, honest interview. Grant was, um, yeah, <laughs> I kind of can laugh about it a little bit now, but neither me or Cooper, we, we had a feeling there was maybe going to be something, but it took us by surprise just how kind of open and honest and blunt Grant was about um, his life and his younger years, especially right from the start. So we really um, thank Grant for that, for coming on, and we hope it's a platform that people go and listen to his show through listening to here i've listened to a few i've obviously been on it myself i would recommend that obviously um hopefully my plan is maybe in the next half a year or so that we might actually do a little bit of a spin and i might be a guest on this my own show and then maybe get grant and and cooper to interview me on the show um, and go into my career, my life. So that's hopefully going to be something good. But I hope he's enjoyed Grant. I hope he's enjoyed the the banter as well. Uh, <laughs> like I told you, Cooper had a few brewskis. So the ending, he, he's getting a bit hyper, and uh, he disappeared about five times for a pee. But he did well, did old Stavros, and um, I'm glad he was on and he he showed up well. And so did Grant, and it was a good laugh and some good little debates as well. And that was uh, that was always good. Um, as this comes to you on the Sunday, just as a week passed, I interviewed um, 
Jack Grimmer for the midweek special, and it's probably by far my uh, my favourite interview I've done so far. Um, I think it's going to be go down really well. Jack was an absolute blast um, to speak to. What a nice guy and an honest kid, and I hope he goes on to. I hope he goes on to get the achievements that he wants that he speaks about in the pod. And um, we speak about some obviously his career, a lot of football stuff. We also have a few little discussions about mental health and football and social media and, and everything else. So I think it's an honest, open chat. And um, it's something that I'm really looking forward to taking to you. The other midweek specials in the month are going to be huge as well. And I'm working on a few more with um, professional footballers. That's hopefully going to be a little segment. Apart from that, coming up this month, well, by the time you listen to this, we'll be entering March, which is mental. And... It's going to be a good one. You've got the the midweek special, and then you have after that Ashley um, Armstrong, who's the local physio. That'll be a good one. And it's going to be a it's going to be a busy little month. Um, Cami Keith, the Keith goal scoring legend, Fraser McEachin, which I'm buzzing to show you, and then Lewis Will. Um, so it's going to be a, a belter of a month. Um, I'm hoping you're enjoying these interviews. Um, age clothing. Once again, age sponsors. Um, got my uh, got my matching short and t-shirt set with my girlfriend. So there'll be a couple of lovey dovey photos coming up there soon that Cooper will probably spew at and a few other pals. Um, live for CBD. The CBD oil I'm using it at the moment. Class. It's giving me an absolute boost every time I'm trading. Um, so look, look at the, the social my social media for the discount codes TSR10 live for CBD and Robcast10 at Age Clothing. Once again, thanks to not only Grant for being a guest on the show, but for doing the editing, the Capellos and the Tijuana Sun. Um, anyone that follows me on social media, um, I have launched my own charity event for uh, mental health, which is going to be called Fat to Fight. Go and have a look at that on Instagram. The Instagram tag or page is from Fat to Fight. All the the information and um, videos and everything on there. Something that mental health means so much to me, man. And like, I'm not gonna go into it too much on here. Go and have a look on Instagram. Slash, I'll probably greet if I keep speaking about it. But I'm gonna make everyone that follows me and supports me so so proud and. My target is going to be five stone and five grand. That's the the kind of motto I'm saying to myself: five stone, five grand. Get in the get in the ring and have a scrap. Um, all for charity and all for making people proud. My family, my friends, people that suffer from mental health. I'm doing this for you. Um, I don't want to clog up the Robcast because that's not what this is about. But if that sort of interests you, go and have a look at the Instagram page from Fat to Fight. Cracking show. Next show will be the midweek special with Jack Grimmer, which comes out on the Wednesday after this. Can't wait to launch it. Um, thanks again to everyone for listening. We're in March. We're just away to turn into March now, which is fucking mental. But thanks for all the support this part of the year. You've been absolute heroes. Love you all.